Good evening, and welcome to us. <laughs> we a very good introduction. <laughs> it has been two years since my last confession, <laughs> and nothing happened in that time. Like, there's, well, there's no, there's no reason in 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 the earth or on it or both fast and slow. I, I wish we could blame the pandemic, but we did actually record episodes in the first part of the pandemic. It's true. And then after we got used to the pandemic, we said, fuck that. Actually, hi, welcome to us, Radio Free Golgotha. It has been a minute, as the children say. Hi, Al. Hello. We also haven't seen, like, we were recording via Zoom mm-hmm. for a while, in which, if you are wondering at the amateurosity of our levels, we're trying, but my God, we are not bright with sound. <laughs> like, we like to make sounds. Right. But on Zoom, Al is much louder than I am. Zoom favors his dulcet tones. And in person, I am louder. Life favors life favors my favors. <laughs> in the the last two years, some things have happened. Uh, uh, of course, the great Panini has taken over everything. But we last recorded in June of 2020. It is now January, late January of 2022. During that time, you moved. <laughs> out of the city and into the woods of New Hampshire, putting the English back in New English. Thick fisherman sweats. Yes. <laughs> but yes, we we did do a, a little bit. If you've been paying attention, we did a few posts <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in the folk necromancy group. But uh, so we did uh, three speakeasies of the dead. Yeah, which were really fun. It was great to do. We had, had some lovely guests on and rather than us talking for a really extended period. It was really nice over over lockdown when we were, you know, doing classes and, and Zooming was a way of, of being in touch with friends and family as well. It was just really nice to do like a 10 minute magazine section thing mm-hmm. of like, come on and talk about this thing you're interested in for 10 minutes on the, on the Zooms. Uh, and I liked the incorporation of, we incorporated art. We had someone talk about art or poetry or something like this in addition to Necroastrology. Big, big shout outs to, to Sasha Ravich. And so we had a, a few talks from people that were longer and then a few middle length and then a few short things that kind of introduction. It was a lovely format. We did three of them. All the proceeds were to charity, actually, past the event right fee. I think everything went to a specific charity. We hope to do more of those in the future. No, I mean, we have, I have a bunch planned. It's just a case of like increasingly as people were like, I don't want to screen time anymore. I yeah. want real life. You know, became, you know, wasn't, that was a thing that, that everyone could, could do. Oh my God. That is a noble thing of like, we'd actually host it in person, but just record it and broadcast it. That's all right. So back to the focus. We've kind of forgotten how to do this. I also went to school and got a master's degree in, in, in since I've, since we last spoke, listener, you would die. So supposedly there's a performance theory specialist in me that knows what they're talking about. I say it's just the same with a lot more 
having read things that I no longer remember. It's what happens when you read like 4,000 pages a week. And you just like, just keep going. It'll yep. be fun. Some of this is bound to stick somewhere. Get a master's, they say. It'll be fun. But I do talk about performance a lot now, which so that is my gift to you is <laughs> Al and listener. So, hello, welcome. Hopefully this is coming out around the Feast of St. Blaise. So we'll be talking about that dear saint and associated motifs, heraldry, customs, hagiography, etc. We're also going to talk about the birch tree, mm-hmm. uh, it being a period between the Yule and the Imox. <laughs> what else we got on the list? Gold. Gold. Gelt. Talking about some gold in terms of our, our mineral, mm-hmm. in terms of our geomantic figure and counterparted do we're talking about rubies mm-hmm. Iku? Ika. Ika. Mm-hmm. Metana, yeah. And for our counterparting uh, demon and Eshu, we're talking about Duke Sirak and Eshu Kolunga. Mm-hmm. Right? And then uh, divination is the magic style. Oh, yeah. All of it. Because, the whole thing. Well, you know, what is to divine? What is, what is, uh, right. I mean, we can get caught up into the, 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 the particularities of like, oh, cards are like this or dice are like this, but in, to look at it like broadly, I think is a great thing for us to come back. Yeah. And I, and please bear in mind, if you're, if you've listened to us before, you know that we don't always stick to these. It's a guide post. It's a, a bumper in the alley of our bowling right through life. Oh, and a dead magician as well. We're going to talk about John D. I mean, <laughs> maybe Hopefully. John D. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we actually, it's surprising that we haven't talked about John D, but I always feel like we're saving him. But as we've learned, why save your load for anything? Just, just spill it. Do we say the death card? Yes. Yes. Spe- okay. Yeah. Speaking of spent your load. So should we start with St. Blaise? So I think we, our format generally is to start with the St. Star. So, I mean, jump in anytime, but <laughs> my, uh, the reason I like St. Blaise is because St. Blaise is the, Bridget, where there is no St. Bridget. So like in so many other parts of Europe, it's St. Blaise's Day or St. Agatha's Day. Like it's one of those things because it's early February. So we're talking outside of Scots-Irish tradition where everything is Bridget as like the welcoming of the fire. You have St. Blaise and within the Catholic Church, most notably known for the the blessing of the throat with cross candles. There's actually like like ritual architectural things that are used to hold candles at an X as they're burning and held to your throat, almost like a weird brand X or they're just crossed and put there. They might be candles that are blessed in Candlemas that are then used the next day because blaze is February 3rd. So Candlemas being the purification of the Virgin Mary on the second, the candles might be blessed usually two. And then those are crossed at the next day to, to bring the heat of the Virgin, the, the rest, you know, as she restores that your throat is restored, which is based on, Blaze's legend, which is very expertly laid out and elucidated in the Golden Legend. And the English translation is late 15th century, right? 1480s. But which are available online. We'll post them in the comments of the show notes. But Blaze is an Armenian bishop who wanders around and does nice things amongst living in caves and ditches and birds bringing him food, which was an interesting debate between Al and I not debate, just a, a clarification of text, because in the English translation, it says meat, to which she clarified that meat just means substantial part of a meal. Mm-hmm. That is very deceptive English. Yeah. Um, and it was like, but in Latin, what is it? And it was because if, if it says meat, then that's obviously meat in Latin, carne. But it's not. It's the word for like sundries, fodder. Right. 
So it's, uh, it does just mean the birds were like, oh, you're starving, dear friend. Like, let me bring you some oats yeah. or like a dead mouse. And is, there, is there any tradition of it being specific birds you've come across? Because I'm, I'm, I'm keyed into ravens at the moment because of a, 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 a thing I'm working on with Powell. And uh, it's definitely ravens who bring Elijah foods uh-huh. and uh, Peter the Hermit as well, which is also, it's, that's fascinating when it's like, ah, like, like Peter's, uh, like Peter the Hermit's thing is like, ah, like Elijah, but only in this way, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe in some other ways as well. The iconography that you see across your, the, the birds vary. They're sometimes just generic burb, right. but I don't remember anything seeing raven outright, but that doesn't mean that's not going to be what some people Im- immediately think. Certainly if it was meat. Right. Who was actually me? I'd expect a carrion bird. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be either a night owl or a raven. Right. Oh, Stora. Decorex. But, yeah, so I don't know the specific type of bird it might be, but like the object of, I mean, the Disney princess blaze, like. Right. All the wild animals coming to him in general. Not, and he is, and he is king of beasts as well. Right. So he has a place in that, in the, in, in that lore. There are. There's bread that's baked on his day that they like so much of the bread baked on St. Agatha's day, mm. the day before. So lot, lots of bread in those times. But Blaze is so quite interesting just for, because it's such an old saint, it's Diocletian. So it's good old friend Diocletian, which is also Cyprianic era. Right. Of like the, the, the emperor who never slept because he was spending so much time. Yeah. Diocletian made saints. He's the saint maker. He's like Pope John II, JP2, just making saints all over the place. But because of that, of course, there's a lot of like, did this person really exist? There's a lot of controversy over Blaze's relics because it was used in French propaganda, like anti-Catholic propaganda, because in France alone, there's enough to make like seven or eight full skeletons from the number of skulls. There's like four, he had four heads and like a hundred arms. And- so rather than being yeah. like, hey, it looks like there's too many parts here. Yeah. Again, anti-Catholic propaganda is like, go big and go home. Yeah. So it's like, oh, he must have looked like had four heads and been this monstrous thing. Yes, actually. Yeah, exactly. The the multi-headed and uh, multi-arms uh, figure on Liber Falcifer is actually St. Blaze, yeah. which is actually not actually that much of a stretch because St. Blaze is a mask for like death deities or beast deities. But so the Armenian bishop and then like he's claimed to have lived as is very common all over Eastern Europe of like in every country has like no Blaze actually lived here or he meditated in this cave. There's definitely a cave in Albania. It's the cave of St. Blaze. But then historians will be like, actually, that's a different St. Blaze who shares the name and lots of the overlapping lore, but it's not the same as a historical Blaze, much like you might see with Petka. Of, like there is just a lot of people that share that name or Cyprian even. But. Even the Johns, right? Who are, are well known. Yes, no, absolutely. Again, John the Evangelist versus John the Revelator and like right. going through that. But I think it's also something there about like mapping the sacred onto the landscape that you have. Mm-hmm. That like it is much more immediate that if you've never left this valley, that like, of course, John the Baptist walked through your valley. Like, yes, that is the truth. It doesn't matter that you are in Northern Ireland or that you are in North America, but like we know the Holy End somewhere else. And then, of course, I mean, Unless you're Mormon, in which case the Holy Land is here too. Right. We are recording from North America. Should anybody be questioning that? From upstate New York. It's not really upstate. It's the Hudson Valley. But anyway. So Blaze is used to bless throats because of the story of the child who got the fishbone cut. His mo- The mother of the child that brings the choking child to Blaze. Somehow she's able to get to Blaze before he dies. Right. Right. And like he just touches the throat and the child is like, I'm healed. Which is always very formal language in the golden legend of like, fear not, madam. Through the power of Jesus Christ, your son shall be healed, and and he's instantly better. Which is a little bit like reading the terms and conditions when you're just like, just show me the YouTube video how to stop someone choking. Yeah, for me, like story of life, like what's remarkable about it. I mean, like he was 
He's patron of Woolcombers because of the way he died of the, the tortured by combs, like giant rakes. Yep. So he sometimes is holding this like little metal version of that that's very tiny. But he gets this because it looks like a Woolcomb. He became patron of Woolcombers there. He's patron of cattle. So like on his feast, which is showing overlap with what happens in early February of like right. the earth is warming up. We want to bless our animals so that they make it through to spring. But the, the waking up, so things that we've talked about with Bridget or, or other saints around this time, right. that the fire of the earth is being transferred. This idea of like that purity of the flame on Candlemas that then is two of them, the pillars. So you then they are crossed so that you are now at the intersection of the two candles that flank the altars. So it, it invokes a cross, although it is a, an Andrew's cross over your throat, not a, a Christian cross, but like that crossroads is there, which then echoes the skull and crossbones too, because your head is there and there's these two long candles. Do you know um, where the death stuff associations like are kind of cemented? I, I, I think that's definitely something there that the sign of negation is there. Mm-hmm. It can't be the only thing. It's just, it's an interesting thing right. that it does like a skull and crossbones. Making the arches make sense in terms of how many traditions there are. I mean, often later associated with Beltane fires and things, but we see them in spring as well as like, this is the time that ticks are going to start jumping on your capital and things or whatever bugs you have to your area <laughs> and putting them through th- two smoking fires. Mm-hmm. And I think the you can't like a candle isn't going to smoke but if you cross it then you've got an arch to go underneath that's true which like am i gonna reach for the brain in there but like how the rune gable is said to be like two poles like two flags of two different clans crossing uh, so that it has a a, exchange, gift, a right. gift and marriage exchange there that mm-hmm. is like there's something our, our tent poles are leaning towards each other right forming a, an exchange of crossroads there so this it is interesting that way Go about that connection to the throat, though, the head's on top. So we have a go thing. Yes, exactly. It's a skull and, it's skull and crow bones. Which, what was it? That's something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Just remembering something. Whew. Okay, take some focus. Anyway, Blaze and a syncretism, definitely, I mean, within, for us, within, if you are a Macumbero, like, there is uh, a reference to him being secretized with Omolu in some way. The younger of some people say younger, some people say older, but the death-oriented aspects of the Babaloye complex within Candomblé and Umbanda. You have San Blasio, San Nicholas, you have St. Lazarus and San Hoki all being masks for that. Blas is a favorite just because there's a church of St. Blas that I've done a lot of ritual work with in during my early trainings in Brazil. Mm-hmm. But also uh, very prominent in across Western Europe, in, in, in the Pyrenees, in France, in Spain, in general. San Blas is there. Blas is a very common name in northern Spain. You also have across the Balkans and Eastern Europe this remnant of older religious things, of course, but he's Blas inherits the ritual lore of Veles or Volos. Oh, okay. So Lord of Beasts. Yeah. Um, which explains why in areas where there's apples, they would bless apples with the candles. Mm-hmm. And this is common in many places in Europe because apples are around. But to bless the apples and then cut the apple pieces, cut apple into pieces and feed them to cattle. Mm-hmm. So in addition to blessing cattle with candles from candlemas, now Blaze is going around and blessing everything. Blaze is one of the 14 holy helpers, which we've mentioned on previous episodes. So there's 14 medieval saints that were kind of petitioned of like, this is an entire complex of like covers seizures, covers childbirth, covers right. throats. And this is a nice way to kind of get a comprehensive body 
saint, saint body going on to defend you. Yeah. But with Veles, it's interesting just because you're talking about a, a god who is associated with moisture and is, is a hairy god, is a bearded god, a god of animals and of caves and of uh, moist earth. And there's a lot going on there of, of his relationship to Perun, who's the thunder deity, and they're kind of war with each other. But the the fact that Veles is San Blas, St. Blaise, is is fascinating, is is not even something that's hidden. We know we're very aware that the, the festivals transferred in different areas. Not dissimilarly to like rigid complexes of the shining ones. Yeah, ex- exactly. There's there, okay. there has to be a way that this goes and there's certain festivals there. Yeah. It's a, a wonderful little section I came across. Oh yeah, partly talking about, I've been reading up on Robert Bartlett's Why Can the Dead Do Such Great Things, Saints and Worshippers from mm. the Martyrs to the Reformation, which is really fun. It has great index. And so just popping through the various saints that they mentioned along the way and talk about how not only did Blaze have like a Disney princess thing of wild animals thronging to him to like help him, you know, clean the kitchen uh, for the seven dwarves or whatever, but that they would come for his blessings as well, that they would yes. come with ailments and wouldn't leave until he blessed them, mm-hmm. which I found interesting. The other point that uh, is the reason I reached for that book, I was looking for the notes in it, is that this notion of like, Having the 14 holy helpers, as you say, is just about being able to, to have 14 different, you know, altars to light candles at. It's about, you know, the anatomy of the sick person in, in, in Germanic regions. The, the St. Christopher connection is a lot more specifically connected to treasure as well. But uh, this is, that it's, this itself, at least by the, the 16th century, wasn't entirely met uncritically. And, and it was just reading up on this thing about, and it's something we talk about a fair bit as well around like safe patronages mm. and this idea of like, uh, we just pulling them off the rack to use them for something. Yeah. Dial a saint. Right, right, right. Dial a saint. And, and, uh, Bartlett quotes Thomas More's dialogue concerning heresies. One of the characters in there just published in 1531, basically doing exactly the same ranting of what it says, uh, we do them little worship while we set every saint to his office and assign him a craft such as pleaseth us. Saint Eloy, we make a horse leech and must let our horse rather run unshod and mar his hoof than to shod him on his day. Saint Apollonia, we make a tooth drawer and may speak to her of nothing but of sore teeth. So this idea of like uh, saints and specialisms is not necessarily seen as entirely pious mm-hmm. uh, by certain peoples at least. Often much after the fact as well. Yeah, I think it's hard to tell what, when you have life stories, you tend to repeat them, but mm. it was a common thing in the old Kurandarismo Yahoo group when I was running it with Bryant Holman of people asking, what saint do I pray to for this? And like the one that you talk to every day, like start with the one, you know, start with your family's patron saint. Like if you're giving flowers and praying to saint all the time, like why were we not starting there? And this idea of contracting others, that maybe that saint's like, that saint might get you a flash of inspiration to pray to another saint. Right. Because a good Catholic might not perhaps talk about how they're hearing the saint. But, you know, some people, of course, do. Right. And also that that while this was going on and while churches were being specifically dedicated and parts of churches were being specifically dedicated, chalk your altars to the Magi. I should have said that earlier, as in weeks ago. Which is very common. I mean, it's always epiphany somewhere. It's always, oh, I like that. <laughs> it's not true. While you have whole churches dedicated to a saint and, and particular parts of the church might be dedicated to a saint or particular, and not just like the nave or the east wing, but like a, a functioning part of the, of the like the altar or, or whatnot. While you're doing that, you also... Every church that's dedicated to someone also has a couple other saints in there. 
So like on the one hand, this notion of specializing removes us from the, the sacredness of things can, can absolutely be the case. Like we, uh-huh. like I say, dialer say, but there's also this capacity, like you would go to that church of your patron and, you know, maybe the light falls, you know, on, on one of the other paintings as well. And you would go and speak to, you know, all the light a candle and pray to that saint as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so this idea of on the one hand, not a monistic, like I only work with <laughs> like with St. Anne and everyone else can go to hell like that, that there's an aspect of devotion there. Right. But there's also this sense of you are also on the way to St. Anne's. What are you doing? Right. On the way to that church, like who else is there? Not just what are the churches, but what other parts of your particular personal landscape? What rivers do you cross? Mm-hmm. What blacksmiths do you go past that might have a St. Dunstan's, et cetera? Yeah. But it's like, what's that happy medium between seeing what's around you at a church and seeing these other saints that are there for you to learn about and to work that are working within your parish? Is it a saint complex because of value centers that are there of like you, you know, you have fishermen, so you must have a saint that covers fishermen if it's not the patron, you know, like, is there a prominent stone cutting guild? And so like, which blaze is actually a stone cutting patron as well? It's interesting seeing like the groupings of saints as well, right? The Holy Family being the classic, the mm-hmm. one that's most likely like, it seems to me at least like the one that's most likely if you've got, uh, if you've got an Anne, you might well have a Margaret as well as obviously a bunch of Mary stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the 14 Holy Helpers, I guess. But a lot of them do seem to be more based around the value centers of the place. Like, yeah. it's, it's not like, oh... So we don't reinvent the wheel. Like, right. value centers are, are consistent. And that's the thing. We have to find an answer. If the patron saint doesn't do what you need it to do, you need to augment it real quick as a as design or out of natural, like, someone says, like, I had a vision of this saint, which, you know, it the brain works in mysterious ways. It's just, we're going to make sure that we have what we need in a consistent faith. Right, right. There's the... That happy medium, though, of like, well, how many annexes do you build on? Which I'm sure many of us are quite familiar with. Like, well, I'm kind of interested in this spirit, demon, deity, angel this month. How do I not suddenly divert an entire new shelf shrine? Like, what do you do first? Which is, you know, the wonderful thing about like, well, that's why you can have a candle on another altar. It's like, this is for you. If a relationship is to build, then put me in a position to be trained or learn more about you from someone or from a, like to help me find afford the book that like right. unlocks your secrets or because there's always a book that unlocks the secrets in the western mind fifth we are the books not al and me specifically but we are our own anyway tattoos when on trees are called books yeah. but that's some necromancy <laughs> so like the story with the, like the origin of the candles themselves. So like the woman that they encounter, the, the blaze encounters whose um, sheep has been taken by a wolf mm. and like blaze intervenes and the wolf brings back the sheep. And then when he's imprisoned by Diocletian, the woman comes up to him and offers him two candles so that his cell is not dark and gloomy. <laughs> so there's something interesting there about blaze being around Candlemas day and the traditions which in America are groundhog, but in Europe are bear. So Candlemas Bear Day of the bear coming out of his cell, his dark cell, mm. to perhaps be greeted with light. And what does that mean? You know, that if the light is returning, then the sun is returning and all things are fine so the bear can go back to sleep. But if the sun is not returning, if there's not good weather, then the bear has to get out and like go find the good weather, like go bring order back to the forest, which... When we go into guising traditions, which are always a, a fascination for me, and the, it, especially since if we're going to talk performance, like the fact that there are so many alpine performances, not alpine, but mountainous performance traditions that exist across Europe 
and into the British Isles that have similar cast of characters, but that the Candlemas bear in that way is always bears are opposed to wolves in opposition to wolves, that the wolves rule during the winter when bears are sleeping and bears rule during the summer, that the forest lord comes back because you have Wilderman, wild men, things coming in with the bear and the ancestor origin for European peoples is bear. Like this is the, the thing, mm. but that that Blaze has this bear-like thing then by his feast day being there and then also banishing, like telling the wolf, bring back the sheep, bring back the livestock, bring back the thing that these people can depend on. So the bear is a medium point, even though he's Lord of the Forest, because again, lions are long gone. Right. So the bear becomes the thing in the forest that can go after us. And if I, you know, I know there's different types of bears having grown up in California where like we were obsessed with like, there's brown bears, but then there's the mythical grizzly bear that, you know, like this thing will just kill you. It is, you know, terrible bear as you know, when you look at its Latin name. Right. So there's something there that connects to the wolf. Then again, and like you bring up deities like Velis and like the connection to beasts and what this is and that blaze represents beastliness, but also that can be used. So the blessing of domestic animals holding the cross candles over the head of the faithful, as well as animals blessing anything that is now like you guys, you animals need to be lactating. So, which means you are pregnant, which means you will produce babies in the right time of the year. Um, speaking of someone who has to bring a baby goat inside because it's really cold outside. That's all fascinating with place. I hope it's fascinating. No, I think so. And you get a variety of those sweat blessings of the animals, which are not just, please don't let my source of income get sick and die but it's also a bunch of stuff around variety of working animals. But what, and, and, but again, where we, there is the line drawn in, in, in the emergence of what get called pets, right? But obviously like companion animals are also brought to the church often, you know, sometimes even baptized by the, the name of, of, a, of a saint that's associated with that, you know, all the, all the cats being Martha's in various parts of Europe and things. I think it's the, any perturbance of the throat and in, in inhibition of the breath is associated with him which like yes there's the fish bones so, like the healing of the throat like what is it about choking what was choking like is choking such a common way to die that like blaze becomes like a, we must call but i mean he heals other ailments but it's fascinating like his most common iconography is either the two candles or a candle or cross candles or being in a cave surrounded by wild beasts like he's not shown with the he can be shown with the steel comb as or the iron comb as we've talked about like that wasn't even the instrument of his death. Like that's to rake the flesh so that you're basically like striates, like raw. He was ultimately beheaded. Um, as, cause that's what Diocletian did. They mm-hmm. boil you alive, but we're going to die, behead you in the end. Cause now we know you're dead. So it's just, it's an interesting Satan that way, like an anonymous bishop holding a candle. Right. Which any saint holding or any holy figure holding a candle, then that light becomes a thing. And light's going to come back through a few things we talked today about. I'm sure just cause it has to. I mean, like specifically foreshadowing to gold like gold is light like it's that's you know there's some yeah it's there's a reason that churches are using that on icons and on statues or on chalices because it's just like it is it's not even reflecting it it looks like it's emanating you know that idea of gold thin gold leaf on a room pounded out can make the whole room bright in a way like one candle flame suddenly is extreme because the gold is reflective and, and it magnifies the light and it symbolizes a purity that's there. So, so the relationship of blaze to the candlemas candles, then like, which is, uh, you know, you have the circumcision of Jesus on the, on the first 40 days later, Mary's done so she can be purified. And that's also the prophecy of St. Simeon, I think is around this time period. Mm-hmm. So it's the first time when they're in the temple and 
Simeon's like, oh my God, you're carrying the Messiah. And she's, you know, it's this thing of like Mary ponders things in her heart, right? Of like, yeah, 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 that's great. Don't talk too bad. But I don't know. Blaze has some interesting things there as why the association with death in a lot of places is, and like Veles is still an underworld God, Mm -hmm. but we're coming out of the dark of the year. Like, like it's conquering it, but there's still a tie to it for sure. I don't hear about a lot of it being a vigil for the dead either. I don't know. Is that a, a thing you've come across? That- like Candlemas in that way? Yeah. There's certainly people that, I mean, because Candlemas is the blessing of, of all candles, right. anything then that you would like lighting a candle for a, the dead is there. It is also many people bring the four candles that are kept in a house for someone who's dying. So there were often longer, thicker candles that were kept in Catholic culture of a bleached wax, which was more expensive. Remember, the only two candle colors originally were wax colored like yellowish orangish and bleached wax and the bleached wax are the ones for mass right but for column candles that would then be put around the edge of the bed when a person is on their deathbed so those were often blessed at candlemas but again they are shedding this is an important part of like pre-modern candle magic as we may have talked about in an episode that the sarah the, sarah. the issue is not Yes. Check out Lovely Arts. Yes. Uh, the issue is not, oh, we must burn a candle. It's that we're using the blessed wax. We are burning this candle so that we can shed wax over our fields, over our cattle, over ourselves, even our, our even the, the deathbed. It's not about, oh, we, it, like burn this candle and then suddenly the universe changes. It's Yeah. There's something to it of like, it extends the prayer of the blessing that's on the candle yeah. and that the, the wax dripping, which... When a candle is made well, it won't drip much unless it's meant to. But trimming the wick so that the 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 flame is the sacred heart, and the wax is the blood, in some way that is that is coming off of it. Yeah. Certainly, very different from like tallow candles and things like that, or oil lamps, mm. which are a different inheritance for sure. Kind of segue into gold, which is kind of jumping ahead, yeah. but we might as well go into gold there. So, so, so gold. Being a California baby, gold is kind of framed, you know, identity in the West and. You know, the old prospector, like, stereotype and that many of us, like, you see a quote-unquote mountain man, you're, like, often referred to as a prospector mm-hmm. just because he's wearing a certain thing and going into the the mountains. My grandfather certainly was mistaken but because he was just going to the cattle ranch. But, you know, there's something very, gold is the great promise. So, like, yeah, it's, the, I'm fascinated for, again, this light that it is sun, that it is obviously light and star and, like, precious in that way. The divide, the automatic assumption that it's worth something like accumulating wealth is not universal mm-hmm. as evidenced by the, like the Mesoamericans who had gold all over the place, but they didn't accumulate into coin. They used it for religious icons or to line a chamber in that when you lit a single candle, all of a sudden the whole thing felt like it was alive with you. Right. So I'm fascinated by that thing, but also the little things that come to mind with gold of the fact that the Rome after the Romans, there's no new gold in Europe. It's there's just there's no new gold. It's all been discovered. There's no there is no California for Europe until trade with Mali. I was gonna say yeah, you've got the you've got the the, the, <coughs> the Mali coming up like the king going on tour and yeah throwing bags of it. Becoming the richest mass. Yeah. And it's like because there's a lot of gold in Mali and suddenly any new gold that's coming in has to be. Otherwise it's just recycled coinage. And and that's fascinating too, because so much of the, it brings to like the 
not desecration, but recycling of like that temple is not being used and I need stone. Let me go to get the column. And now my home has, you know, pillars from the temple to Apollo that was down the road and playing into that with like the spoils of conquest. It didn't matter that it was a gold chalice and a crown because you could melt that gold into whatever you want. You could take those jewels out. You could recycle the runes of power right. um, and put them into a different crossbow. So like the just gold itself is so interesting that that's the epitome of Western monetary value of like, this is labor. It is mined. Mm-hmm. It is heated. We were talking about this earlier with like Baraja Española, like the Aste Oro, the, the coins themselves being of the fire suit in the Spanish cards, but like gold, mm-hmm. gold is fire. Gold is will. Like it, it is, it's one ring to rule them all. Like there, there is a story to gold wherever you find it. Yeah. Well, again, having just had a bunch of Epiphany celebrations, it's still pretty fresh for me to think about gold as a gift of the Magi. Ah, I don't know, not even cross that into my mind. That was much louder. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Levels. So along with like a bunch of different ways that a bunch of people have said, like, what's the gold symbolize? And and again, even the Golden Legend has like (laughs) at least four different interpretations just as it's naming them. The thing I find fascinating, I like that thing you said about wherever you find gold, you find like a story of it going back. For a while, all gold is ancient gold. Yeah. And uh, coming across this thing in, in, in Trexler's Journey of the Magi, which is mostly a kind of art history of the, the depictions and considerations of the, oh, is this the one I think it is? Of the three kings. It, this is, I love this stuff. The 5th or 6th century Opus Imperfectum, which is supposedly some lost book of the East, claims that there are three, the three gifts of the Magi came from a treasure cavern that had been filled by Adam himself from the wealth of paradise. The Magi's gold especially was thus prelapsarian in origin and had to be understood within a cosmic historical context. So lapsarian, hold on. What? Pre-lapsarian. What is lapsarian then? Oh, uh, uh, before the fall. Oh, right. Really? Enoch, we might say. Okay. So this means a couple of things, right? Coming from paradise over the centuries, it too was made to reappear at many world historical moments. It's said that Abraham had it. Alexander the Great is said to have had it, which is also interesting in how many other parallels there are with Alexander the Great and the Magi. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly possessed it before the Magi <laughs> gave it. The, oh yeah, we're showing how this TikTok video and like how to tell the statues and like Alexander the Great always has a whoop whoop curls over his yeah the little forehead the, the little mini boy band yeah yeah, 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 yeah. okay I forget who's saying I love how serious and, and careful she is except for like one Roman emperor or something just like he looks like a cunt <laughs> I don't think that's the term she used but like <laughs> but a bunch of medieval and modern churches claimed that their chalices were made from that same gold so again because you can melt it down it's a reference back to it's not just gold they were giving, it's giving back this sense of like the gold of creation, like the incorruptible thing mm-hmm. that was there before everything else got corrupt. Which plays into like the alchemical notions that once you are able to find gold in the sense of like how to distill it, yeah. that it replicates itself. Mm-hmm. That like gold, it, it like it's, it doesn't, it's incorruptible. It does not diminish by you partaking in its light. Right. So like, the Magi gold, if it's uh, properly ensconced co- somewhere, would like perhaps little gold droplets fall every day. That then you could make new coins from it. Like I, it becomes li- living gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is fighting the the corruption of a, a post fall world. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting too. And also that like you are, yeah, you're connecting things back to. to Adam. Okay, but I'm fine with connecting things back to Adam <laughs> and Abraham, prelapsarian, pre delusic, anti deluvian. I was going to make up new words there. What's that bullshit you... 
um, once shared with me and tried to get me angered earlier again. So, um, uh, by, how very dare you of connecting it to the Silver of Judas? Yeah, yeah. So by the 14th century, John of Hildesheim's uh, Hagiography, which to be fair is probably a mixture of what he wrote and also he, he claimed he was pulling it from uh, a variety of sources already. So to say it's John of Hildesheim making it all up whole cloth is unfair. I mean, it's obvious he wrote it to piss me off. But he, he, yeah, he claims that amongst what the many appearances of the Magi's gold, that this also includes eventually the 30 talents of silver that are paid to Judas. The can't. <laughs> and he has this crazy retcon, which is basically, I know it says silver, but what we need to bear in mind is that those are both just, uh, basically, those, oh, those are both just like idiomatic terms for money. But like, okay, money. that's possible, like, like, given the fact that you just explained that in, in proper English, because let's face it, Al is English and they invented the language. That meat is not meat. Right. That, that an ash tree is not an ash tree mm-hmm. in Scandinavia. And like, okay. So, like, perhaps there is an allowance that, like, give me a, you know, I'd like a Coke, please. What kind of Coke do you want? Like, a Sprite of, like, can you, maybe. you know, maybe. Um, you said, like, there's also the, you know, you, you don't make silver from gold. You don't make, yeah, the, the side of it of, like, why would you regress? Yeah. Not, I, and I love silver. Like, so I'm not, like, being silver phobic here. <laughs> but argentophobic but something but I, I, I don't understand how the pinnacle of met, the metal beast or the mezla flows one way here we, like it it doesn't make sense that the magi's gold would if maybe it was corrupted i could see your, if it wasn't about the money thing i could almost like allow for like well because the age of man had corrupted by so that and the magi the the messiah did actually come was now in the same as like the, the gold had already been corrupted by the fact of the ministry being public and not being accepted by the world. And so their gold did turn to silver. It diminished in value. Mm-hmm. Like that is more poetic. But no, there's none of that. It was none of that. It was just that silver means money. Yeah. And we want the metal to be the same metal as the other. Yeah. I, you know, it's really every, hard to every fight. Every instance of this thing must be the same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, I mean, ultimately, it's like the battle of literalism and anything and then like allowing it to be figurative when you wish it to be, yeah. which, you know, which is already a battle we see in common promise, right? Like most people use the term literally when they mean figuratively. The other thing we see that I'm, I've been interested in is looking at the, the Vin Rames Bible to employ the, I'm sorry, there's a Gene Belcher line, but like, do you mean the King James? He's like, no, I'm pretty sure I mean Vin Rames. Uh, he was great in that movie. Again, because gold is one of the oldest things that are used for currency or, or, or said to hold value without being itself a thing of value unless it is a, a marker of authority as opposed to simply a storing of it we again consistently see a lot of biblical treatments of you know that that faith is more is above gold i love thy commandments above gold yea above fine gold from psalms or this notion oh yeah, yeah matthew you fools and blind for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold so there's a bunch of like counterparting gold as like material wealth versus spiritual wealth mm-hmm. but then there's also a bunch of like oh but also spiritual wealth is itself a kind of gold mm-hmm. and then this is reflective of that thing mm. so there's tension which you also see in like the end of job which i'd forgotten about reading that he's talking about like if i've if i've rejoiced in the in schadenfreude at my enemy's downfall like i have been uh lighted by by the the shine of the the world's gold rather mm-hmm. than by my God. Right. You know, that brings up the, the memories of like, not fool's gold in the sense of like, pyrite, which is 
so sad because pyrite's its own amazing magical thing. I think yeah. we may have actually talked about pyrite. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about gold. We talked about pyrite. Okay. Fascinating. But the like uh, fairy lore of uh, gold that you take in the fairy world or in the underworld becomes coal by the light of day. Like when you take it out of the cave, the riches are now something. I was like, well, coal is not necessarily a bad thing. You can use that to like light a fire, but fuel your fire. But but there is something like gold turns into something far more base between the difference between like the world of the night and the world of the day or the world of the illusion or like you're under the mound in this other world right. where, you know, the weird alien fairies have dressed themselves as humans in finery of like, who's the epitome of old times finery? Let us, you know, the fairy queen wears Dutch clothes here. Right. Um, either either medieval forests look or yeah. uh, contemporary fabulous, but from somewhere that isn't your country. Yes. Slightly foreign and the fashions are just, the hem is wrong or like, well, like you have an extra sleeve for no reason, like something is off, but the, and the shoe buckle, and we know that silver is a very common fairy connection that they wear, but that they have hordes of gold, like, and dragons and sleeping on gold and all these things of like gold is the wealth of the earth. Treasure yeah. is the thing that, and we'll back to treasure hunting and, and it's connection to light and all these things that just comes of like, okay, then we, we have to allow for that. And then the. Man, I wish I'd like read into that more, but like the, all the scams of like, when white gold came out and like people wouldn't trust it because it's not, there's not that many red metals like copper and gold and a few other, but like most metals are white. So like, if you're going to tell me it's white gold, how is that actual gold? Like that's a scam mm. is what people <laughs> would feel. And it's like, well, and then it's sometimes under the right circumstances, rose gold, yellow gold, all these different colors of gold exist. But I, that's all very interesting. I think the notion too of like the studying things like gold leafing, just as far as in the art side of it, yes, for icons, but like pounding something so thin because it is so precious, but like how thin can I get this and have it still be workable? This, if you've never handled gold leaf, I mean, it's technically real gold, but like it's a lot cheaper than buying a gold coin and it's just so thin and that the notion too that in order for the gold to be seen, they painted red behind it mm. to because it, it it was slightly translucent. So you wanted to see something. It's all just such blood of the sun stuff. Yes, like, absolutely. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and even with gold being the light of God, but then red being the incarnating flesh. So like the flesh and and the spirit have to be married in this way, especially in images of saints and things like that. It makes sense. So like we have to do a red undercoat, which is the flesh of the saint, but it's been transmuted to gold. There's a lot of really interesting metaphor that comes in there. I love that very much. So if we talk about Blood of the Sun. Oh, so from Blood of the Sun to, to Bloodshed itself? Yes. That's where I was going. <laughs> That's the natural way of doing it. I... Was actually thinking of like birch, <laughs> which was just the sap rising up in it, like blood flow, which, but like we, I do like that is a natural connection between Rubius that I had to think about the reddening mm-hmm. of like bringing the blood to the surface of the skin through illness or through whatever. But birch itself being so sacred because it is one of the first trees in which the sap rises in the spring right. and therefore has new life. And so birch is used for love magic. Because it is bringing blood into the now hopefully hard members of the men you're trying to attract. So it- remember when it's nice to go outside and you know just you know just want to stay in because it's yeah. cold. <laughs> rem- rem- remember other people they feel nice sometimes. Ah, myth. <laughs> um, I was reading that it's a pioneer species as well. Yes, they all come in 
first after something's been cleared by uh, like forest fire. Yeah, certainly all those reasons is why it's, you know, held up so highly in the like modern um, interpretations. Which so, especially it is the first, it's Bethlehus Noin. So like the, it is the first and it is the, the origin of Om being like, I have carved birch upon a tablet and you should know what this means, that, that there is a birth that has happened mm. because it is a beginning. Huh. Uh, but birch itself is the white goddess. This is graves. Poetic, not fact, but what are facts? And like, that's not the way facts work, Al. No, I was talking to Charles, the dear friend Charles Porterfield, the other day about he's he's been rereading some graves, and it's like, you know, I'm not saying he was right about everything, but he was kind of done a little day. Like, it, like it's another person who's people badly quoting him have been kind of somehow lumped onto him. I don't. Yeah, I think that's just a disappointment of I think Americans are at a disadvantage in that we do not understand that the British kind of have their finger on their nose about many things. Oh, like, wait, wait. Yeah, that like, I say this with masonry all the time. Mm-hmm. All my brothers know me as such. But just the, the notion that like, when it's found in an ancient vault last week, <laughs> it may have not been found in an ancient vault, but it's okay because figuratively, it's giving us metaphors by which to enrich ourselves and our lives and those around us, hopefully. But American masonry takes them very seriously. So there's a literalism that can come in. So I think it's, uh, then you get the conspiracy theories that are built upon those things and go from there. So I, I think there's something quite fascinating about that. So we get this quality of being first, which we talked about before as, as yep. what does that mean? There can be a bunch of things that can be first as best. We talked about with uh, the, the demon male mm-hmm. being like, I am the first and like, I want to make a big deal of being made the first in various ways versus the first being the pioneer, the one that goes in and scouts and looks for things or begins things. The, the like initiator, not in the sense of like, let me bop you over the head with a chicken and now you have magic powers, but like this, the starter pistol of, of spring and things. I'm also interested in those traditions then that use the birch twigs for, for sweeping away the evil of the year and bringing in the blessings of the new year as well. So like, that which initiates isn't automatic. Again, it's like the historicist thing. This is the inevitable wave of history, but also I have to help along, mm-hmm. right? We're all going to play our part. Well, it's it's almost like synchronizing clocks. Mm-hmm. The way I would like to think about it, like nature is on one thing, but you know, we we can directly relate this to the pandemic experience of like time moves differently for you when you're not a part of the outside world. Right. Like without the connection of news stories and like for people that are now in their apartment, like for so much and ordering food and like really not leaving their apartment for two or three weeks at a time like days pass slowly weeks pass quickly you know and or some variation of that or the exact opposite but the there's something about aligning your clock to the outside world of like when you celebrate new year's in your house at the same time as you know the ball dropping it connects you to it it's you are now in alignment so i think there is something to the that side of it, certainly. And, and public time, and just like the invention of public time post-Second World War, when stopwatches have to be, when clock watches and, and pocket watches are, are handed out so that people don't run into a field that's about to be shelled by your own artillery, but come back with those. And suddenly it matters that it's 437 there and, you know, 300 miles away. Like the, it, it, it has, it, it matters. And now we have trains where it matters because you have to be on time. Yeah. This notion of like trains invented time zones right. and planes reinforce them. Right. Right. Um, right. But the route being like local time's been around for a while because you could hear the church bell. Yeah. And the sundial does something, you know, and you're like, you know, noon is when the sun is at its height. It is nothing to do with like 
arbitrariness in that way or which gets us even into like planetary hour remnants right of like mm-hmm. the day divides itself naturally according to these things it wasn't just craziness it's like well the day is showing you when the peak is and yeah. you know sunrise and sunset which are debatable times for people like is it when the disc is halfway is it when the disc is just touching it like when is it when is sunrise when like those are its own thing what is dawn what is celestial dawn what is like nautical dawn and and is a thing determined my my, my favorite divide between this is like is a thing determined by what everyone sees and decides it is or do we require special instrumentation and experts and 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 and, and vaguely arcane formulae to work out what's what's really true midnight or or what have you and i'm not saying like the computational stuff isn't useful and the astronomical stuff doesn't connect us to a wider context of what the universe is doing. Mm. But that, the idea of like, and not just, you know, about people being snotty about when the equinox is, and, but like the idea of like this priori, hey, priori stuff going on there for me, like you can see it, like, which is also the like empiricism of it, mm. right? That, that planetary hours are also called natural hours in some areas. And also in other areas called artificial hours, just for confusing purposes. But that like, there are, you know, literal rules of thumb for working out how far the sun is up the sky and things. Mm-hmm. And that this is, this is this is not just helpful. It's getting at like a a, a truth and a and an unfolding of the world that's self evident. I do think there's a fascinating connection between like Birch and like the concept of Bertha, right? So like mm. or Pertha mm. of for a couple of things, just really bringing Epiphany back into it. Of Frau Perth being the shining one, the bright one. Oh, she's yeah, she's and, just, and white slash radiant as well, right? Which the Birch is is, is at you know etymologically connectedly it's white bark it's light bark well paper birches but there's something shiny there that it's literally there and it's wick before other things and the, the white goddess there's that and there's the the notion in fact in one of the speakeasies of the dead it was one of the things that stood out when rebecca boyer was talking about birch being used to protect the dead it was a tree that protected the dead from the living <laughs> in greater especially celtic folklore <laughs> Um, which it, it is connected to the she, it's connected to, to the world of the dead, but it is, it's on the margins and it's, and this is the natural separation between the cold season and the life season. So I, again, it can, that, that blaze marker there. Mm-hmm. Also, what's fascinating if you're not like birch oil, have you smelled it? It's, it smells like winter. Oh, it's like winter green. Yeah. It's yeah, very winter greeny. Mm-hmm. And that the birch beer is, is very similar to root beer right. in Go flavor. In well. Yes, absolutely. So there's a lot there. It is part of the witch's besom by. Mm-hmm tradition the twigs so nice and pliable uh the whip so like uh birch whips Forge. for like coming in and hurting you mm-hmm. uh punishing children of like go getting a birch stick and don't get it too thick but like birch was pliable very early so like it was like you wanted birch because you know you want a good switch on yeah yeah and even uh the little norman card so there's like what is called the whip is sometimes the broom because it's a bundle of twigs so there's uh there's that crossover from because the Lenormand cards are ultimately German symbolism like then put into French hmm. marriage and, and moving on from there given a French name right um making classy all butter my favorite food butter yeah <laughs> uh, uh. it was the first tree I well, one of the only trees I, I had to learn to identify woodcraft folk is silver birches specifically which yeah the a soft spot for them. I mean, they're very easily recognized, so it's easy to teach your kids. That's what that looks like. And would gather loose bark paper mm-hmm. or kindling mostly. So the idea of like, we need one of those, find one of those 
you can't, we can't start a fire until we find one of these. And, and like paper birch is interesting because the high oil content, it burns blue when you burn it. So Which is also a sign of ghosts. Yeah. Right. So it's this smell. It's the, the whippoorwill color of like mm-hmm. the blue green that leads you. Also here, when you see birch chaga might be on it, which is oh. like just a really nice thing to like, oh, that's just, let's get some chaga. Huh. It's easily confused, I think, too, at sight, like when you're hiking for like sycamore, mm. because the sycamore is white on top. So like you see it and you see another white tree, but it's it's not birch is white all the way down. Yeah, I think birch is a, is a fascinating being that it being the first of the OM letters, like it, it, it has the it's not the king of trees, but it has this like representation of all of the tree knowledge because there are many alms like, right? So there's a bird one, there's a color, there's a tree one. The tree one is just what's popularized, certainly, but that by its nature that all, it's the the father of every of everything in many of the ways because it is the first of the list. And between it and beach, we have a bunch of book connections, right? Yeah. So I think about that in terms of like learning poems and having to start from the first line. Like, you know the whole thing, but you have to start at the beginning. Think about the, the, the birch a little bit like that. In terms of like, the whole forest can be here, but we have to start with the, the pioneer species that, that crops up. And the year does our have to, having to start again. Yeah, certainly. Birch, I think, is the state tree for your state. For now that you live in New Hampshire. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why I pronounced it like that. And that is not what a New Hampshire accent sounds like. So it's like, Tangent, road tripping down to the, the, the south and going through an awful lot of states I hadn't been through before was fun to find out how, but like go through some of those state symbols, like how or every state's beverage is milk, <laughs> apart from like Maine, which is like moxie for like contrary reasons. Yeah, because they're... they're Lobster all, tea. Yeah. They're all, it's all productive, you know, trying to support agriculture and things like that. And then, the, you know, every dance is, is a square dance now because we have to stop jazz. <laughs> and various other things. And yeah. How many states had like, not just the state lamppost, but like the state lamppost that is here. <laughs> There's this weird tautology to a bunch of the monuments uh-huh. of like, not just state monument, but like specific kind of monument that is only in that state, right? The state Kentucky monument of Kentucky is the monument of Kentucky. Like there's just a weird, like, yeah, tautology of it. That's yeah. fascinating. I use tautology to keep myself alive and warm in the winter. That was a bad Star Wars reference, but trying to make it funny. Sorry. <laughs> tautology. That. Uh, <laughs> 30 spells out on the outset. Yeah. It's all tautology. <laughs> no, you needed to explain that one to me, but I like it. And it's, it, it is post-meridianic. We are in the wee smalls. So birch, would you use it for, would you use it in the way that one might use wintergreen? Like for, I'm thinking of red fast luck formulas often include winter grazes. I don't know if I've ever seen people try to... I mean, it makes sense that you could. I mean, I just... I'm, there's so many love spell, like erotic love spell requests that are involving birch and, like, documented from the first millennia of, mm-hmm. like, you know, may his blood rise up within him like the sap within the birch tree. But that combination of, like, it's not... It's definitely not piney, but, like, there's a freshness and a, and again, what do we associate with clean? Like it's, it's, root beer. It's gonna be I associate root beer with clean. That's really what it is. <laughs> but the, the woodsy kind of, not woodsy just because it's a tree, but like the, the woody smell of it, the kind of vacant smoky smell of it, like counterparting to the, the cleanness. I can see that there's a, a sense of like new love and like passion. 
was interesting for it as a white tree. Yeah, certainly. Or like even the need of like how you could tend to candles and use birch oil of like by rubbing birch oil on it. It like it, it absolutely like pulls the the surrounding material up through the candle to the flame. Mm -hmm. Like, like, oh my God. And then long and thin and stand there and like, yeah, come up quick. Yeah. There's a lot of things you got like, like the very common thing now to lay material out in like a very beautiful silver tray. And I'm crafting. Is it Noli? Where like you, you, you know, for, for beading, yeah, you find all your main beads and all your accent beads, and you lay them all out. I think it's called Nola. That's interesting because then you know Nola is the great Nola is the North Star, so it's okay. Right. It's a it's a Kotubian thing, um, making descriptive words out of foreign words to make them English to make them referential to other craft authors. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But like then using the the light of oh, the light of the candle becomes the North Star. Mm-hmm. So you have the like the axis the meridian that you've just created the, the omphalos mm-hmm. at the candle's base mm-hmm. of like the wax becoming the ray of light in that way so like the connected to gold of like the starlight synthesized even though it's the fuel for the very light that you're lighting oh that's a vessels and horizontal yeah and then like the horizontal plane of intersection of of the material that you're using like in the kind of spanish they say portal like portal but like that that mandala mm. of like material that might be there of herbal things that are then laid out in geometric patterns or sigils or whatever have you the petitions of papers to be like now we're aligning it towards this light there's something interesting with that but like that would be like birch oil would be totally an appropriate thing of like no i want this to rise up into the candle like mm-hmm. i you know what can this be i'm gonna trademark that right now <laughs> <laughs> that rising sap of the blood rush yeah absolutely this it's and it's gonna smell like root beer while we're at it mm-hmm. yeah with blaze's candle okay but speaking of like okay birch is used for whips mm-hmm. this is my bad segue love it <laughs> go for it how do you make your ass even pinker al <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely that's me a birch segment. So, a geometric figure at full world tonight's session. What is a day? For a seed is Rubius, which is usually translated as the red or as bloodshed or blood. But the red alert is also, I think, very appropriate. And there's some, there's some literalism to that. Like, it is literally just red things sometimes, especially when it turns up in the fifth, when you're asking about diet uh, and things like that. It, it, it It's common to warn. It is ill to drink, eat, taste, touch, or even wear things that are red, which I find interesting. But primarily it's a, it's a danger. It's a marker of things not going well. The, the most common phrase in its delineations is an evil end. One of the other phrases that gets used with it is good with the ill and ill with good. <gasps> like Mercury. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that one is... It. Well, no, Mercury is good and ill with ill. Right. Damn it. I wasn't listening closely enough until the after effects. Sorry. But there's a, there's definitely a sense there of like, if you are going for this thing, it's going to depend on on what are the circumstances of going for it and what does it mean for it to fail? I I was, I'm interested in looking at where it isn't about corruption because the, because for me, it depends what we mean. We're talking about like political corruption, which has to have an element of, and there's, there's looking the other way, but it has to have an element of active malice going on, I think, or active, like I'm going to gain this thing. Maybe not malice, but like the, there has to be some kind of intention, I think, in in that kind of like, I am going to use my office for personal gain. Okay. 
as opposed to the corruption of, oof, one of their term, like nature. There's a phrase that Hayden uses, the malignancy of the earth, Rubius in the fourth, okay. the home and also the land and things like that. But this continual use of like, that's also a, a marker of tempestuous weather, for instance. So th- this idea of the malignancy of the earth, of, of things that are wasted, things that are wicked, things that bring disgrace, things that deceive us. But for, for me, Tristicia comes a lot closer to conscious betrayal, uh, deception, and, and, and like backstabbing. Whereas Rubius is, you trusted a crazy person who probably believed that thing as well on some level. For, for, for me, at least, there's a lot more about, and yes, there's tyranny and there's like evil and violence and doing, you know, doing harm. But there's a sense to Rubius for me of, of this is, you know, there's a crazy going on here that, that its delineations become a, ga- a gallery of early modern nightmares mm-hmm. of like what could go wrong in a maddening, uncertain, chaotic way. And part of the th- thing that pulls the, the sense of it not just being general deceit or corruption or a bad scene is that it's A, that by knowing a sign of deceit, we can treat it as such. So it holds a chart and come back to that. But also that there's, um, like that it's evil and dangerous and we can understand it as what happens when waters become deadly. When, and so there's a bunch of really specific stuff about like waterworks are either dangerous or it's one of the few things that you can successfully do, put a well in or move water around from place to place. Again, a lot of the water signs are really quite literal. Like yeah. Via has a lot of like, oh, you're gonna, your, your lands will flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Populous has a lot of like. Well, the well makes sense of like bringing the fluid to the surface. Like that's. Right. Makes a lot of sense. But it's, it's crucially what happens. It's also, also marked by color, by anger, by rage. Uh-huh. And so we have this dual phlegmatism and, and color going on. And color is named specifically for its ire. It's what happens when crazy or overly emotional people get angry. So not just like when someone who is good at getting angry gets angry, not like, you know, a, a, a drill sergeant shouting at you to go do something. No, it's the, it's phlegmatics are unaccustomed to strong heat. And so there's all these notions of like, it doesn't just water, doesn't just the watery constitution does not negate fire. It reacts to it in a very strange way. And so there's lots of talk about like frothing blood in the veins and things because you are used to working cold and wet when you are forced into heat and fire it, it, and, and, and dryness. The body is thrown out of its usual. Because this is the thing about like humoral habituation. You're thrown out of your normal loops. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, look, to be fair, like we, this is a sign we've talked about before in... 2017. So it's been five years since we, and I can remember pieces of that conversation. Not well. And probably <laughs> what I do remember is probably woefully inaccurate, but Rubius is such an interesting sign because of its, uh, for me, the corresponding Odu of Ika or it's Metanai in, in Nilogon, right? So Proverbs, and I'm, again, I can only go off published stuff here because I'm not going to be that person. But like Proverbs associated with Metanla with 13, 13 shells in, in, in Kauri or Ika is its corresponding Ifasin. But take the water from the river, you destroy the home of fish. Only strength can destroy evil. The earth cannot fall ill. The stone will not die or it pays to stoop to conquer. 
It's not a great sign for describing someone's character, but it is a sign where we maintain that Obaloye lives in. So there's something I didn't even quite necessarily think of that when like, you know, like we do put some planning into like topics together, but half the time it's like, we haven't talked about this, like let's put this in. Mm. And Rubius had been a long time. So it was like, let's put it in, but it's interesting to put it in here with St. Blaise, who's also a cover of Omolu, of Babaluaye. But we were talking about when water turns poison and with Babaluaye being when the blood boils. So fever, smallpox, and other contagious disease pandemic, when things that are flowing are now dangerous. So like where communication and culture flowed before the hallmarks of our, of our civilization, we now cannot speak to each other. Literally, the flow is damaged and to flow brings disease. So the close contact that used to bring conversation and advance things forward now brings death. And, and fear of death and, and, and attendant ways in which we make ourselves crazy about that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. I, the, the concept of bloodletting itself, like first off, the sangria, which is actually bloodletting, right? Like that's the art of bloodletting is was now given to the lovely red wine, fruity drink. Not always red wine. White sangria is great too. But just the kind of, the bleeding off of excess of what that is, like that's the remedy for this, but like it's, it wins. It's a weird thing of like the skin is red, but how do we get the redness to go away? It's like now we actually have to surgically go in. So we want water from the land. We have to violate the land in a huge way to then hopefully like, not collapse in on ourselves yeah. and pull the water up. And so like the concept of like, well, magic is its own thing that we should definitely add to it. Cause there's so much stuff of like praying before even opening the well, praying as you're going down to it. praying, it's not been poisoned by your enemies, yeah. praying there's still water in it. All those things are and like, especially Germanic folklore of like the wolves coming from the wells and like the underworld that's there and like how things are, this is connection to the dark wet underneath world right and again that very literal connection between of water to the dead yeah right of, of, of it being water the between. holes of the earth mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. like what that is of like feeding the holes feeding the pipes that go down that pipes are associated with the dead mm-hmm. the so the interesting thing with that 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 blood flowing even with just stories there of like who is the remedy for the boiling blood is cool water which was then Oshun. so like bringing the health the one that heals with water to come back in and like make the blood flow strongly in a in a healthy way we want blood pumping through us that's a sign that we're alive our heart is pumping but there is something really interesting that with character traits it's a much harder sign like if you're trying to describe someone's personality and ika comes up or a metala comes up here like there's a how do you tell this person who they are type of thing it's not a a, a fortunate sign yeah it's interesting that it it has a i mean i I read it as a water sign as you may have gathered sam block dear friend and colleague and, and also a geomancer, I believe, reads it as uh, an air sign uh, because of its particular construction of, of two one, that it's a single or active point in the airline. And so, this is interesting to me. For me, it's 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 about humors and emotion, but also there's that element of like the mental world. And again, the difference between a, a well being poisoned and the humors of the situation of a of a, an interpersonal relationship. For those things, also have humors of their own and moistures of their own. Versus the idea of like the, the contagious disease on the winds, right? And the hot winds of, of disease and uh, calamity and getting 
up about things in a way that isn't helpful. Well, the earth cannot fall ill is interesting, right? Because it brings up the memories of Obada's The King Does Not Lie. Mm-hmm. So the earth cannot fall ill is like, okay, so the it's that, who's the quote? The earth is not out of order. There's nothing wrong with the earth. The earth is in, is perfect order. It's our job to put ourselves in synchronicity with the earth and sync with the earth. But it also brings up the point of, you know, when we talk about the very subtle adjustment of like, the planet is dying. No, the planet is fine. The planet was a ball of burning gas right. that was killing. There was no life possible for a long time. And like, it's just that we are going to die. The planet as we know it, but we project our needs or we're like, this is what I like the planet to be mm. upon the planet. And you'd be like, nope, you know, climate change is going to be a thing and the planet will be here. Right. And at some point it won't It'll be absorbed by the sun or whatever. Good. But like life will out type of thing. Like just are we on the good, the, the receiving end of that life side? Right. Yeah. I, I love that this sign also, like if you're in construction, it says that construction is bad, is not going to like, you should stop. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you need to continue to do, but there's going to be huge delays. There's going to be collapses. There's going to be water like problems. If you're planning on move, don't move right now when this sign falls. Like, it's just like, just stop, which is like, it speaks in many ways of what pandemic does of like that hubbub of flow that was happening is now perverted in some way. There's like, just, just this is not the time. Oh, yeah. And that's classic oppressor world. It's like evil. It, it finds a way of, of finding the evil in anything appropriate to, to whichever house it falls when it's, 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 it's in a, on a shield chart or a house chart. You know, whether that's the ninth house for journeys, it's a bad journey. Don't do a journey. You'll get robbed and probably murdered. Now is not the time to do that thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's some fascinating points around addiction as well, I think, and around what we've, what's done and how an early modern text tries to talk about addiction. Right. So the, like the redness to the skin is like often is accompanied with itching and this type of thing. And like to, we even talk about like what satisfies the itch is a craving, mm-hmm. whether it's sexual or so or emotional need that then the injection of something into the skin is like the, in some ways, r- r- rubyific because like there can't, there is a blood, but you're literally putting something in to the blood to like, to, to, to alter it, to cause a, well, it might not necessarily be a physical heat, but a heat of, of stimulus. Right. Yeah. Of, of accomplishment is the wrong word. Completion, maybe? To completion. It's primarily interesting for dividing because when it falls as a first figure, it's one of the, the few halting figures. It, it, it says, it, we are advised if it falls as the first figure of a reading to abandon the reading. Why? There's a couple of explanations. One is that the, the first house is telling you the nature of the querent. And if the querent is mad or deceiving you or otherwise in the fit of a crime of passion, now is not the time to be doing careful divination. Uh, is very good at saying, no, there's not an answer for everyone of all times. No, you, like some, sometimes not good to ask. Interestingly enough, what are the times that are good? Storms, mm. which Rubius can also indicate and be read from. There's also the idea that it is itself not just a figure that symbolizes that that tells you that deceit is going on, but it is a deceiving figure. And when you mark it, you are inviting deceit in. Now mm. you have the analogy you made. We were talking about. I mean, this spills over into talking about divination in general. But the wonderful analogy you made about a a a diviner's chart is a petri dish where we take the problems of the client and we delib- and we don't just we not just expose to them because the client. Is there in front of us. We are literally magnifying it. We are attempting to grow it to be able to see what it's doing in more depth. And as we magnify it, not just in terms of looking closer, but in terms of like making it more present. 
Well, this now is, have to. This is certainly a a link between early modern sensibilities, like West European early modern sensibilities, and like the way that African divination or a lot of specifically trying to draw uh, an opposition to like the the psychological models of things. Because when we talk about psychology, there's a distance there of like it might remind the person of something that that is dangerous, but you're not actually thinking you're invoking danger. Um, and we're trying very specifically in those languages to not relive the moment. How can we talk? How can we witness the memory as opposed to relive it and sidestep trauma in that way and give tools? But it is something that it does a disservice to understanding how immediate the divination is of like Rubius having to even be drawn invokes Rubius. Yeah. And therefore, through its formula, you're like, well, we know it's there because the parents are over there. Like it's part of the chart or it's because this is what's falling. But like, yeah, the first thing that's forward, it, uh, it, it isn't, you know, it, not, not in every, but it's useful to know when there is deceit going on. Yeah. I don't want to be like only good vibes, right? But when it, <laughs> when you've marked it, what's interesting to me is we don't just abandon the reading. Generally, the advice is you break the figure. Yes. It is like you wrote it out and which is also interesting because it's thrown. However, you want to throw, however you want to generate them, it can squilled. But that means that there is, it's, it has to be marked. Like it isn't just like, and even if you are using sticks you that figure is present now mm-hmm. not just because you're talking about it because it's all it has to be marked to create it in some way and so to break it is to me a sign that this is profoundly understanding that there is an underlying image magic to to divinatory taxons mm-hmm. taxa cupping was a thing right right which is the other part of where it is one of the few things that's that's this good and there is an argument that the form of the figure two one two two is an inverted cup. It is an upside down cup. So yeah. you have the notion of spilling things. That which is on the inside is now outside. Vomiting. Yeah. The yeah. earth overturning. Yes. So what was inside the clouds is now falling. What was inside the rivers is now rising. Yeah. So it's... Rubius Huxor, Rubius in the seventh. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, your partner's a hua. Public adulterer. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> not just yeah not just you know should i would that my partner was a whore right <laughs> not just bringing it out of town which is bigamissio vibes you know venus you know the, no longer giving a fuck about the inhibitions or social mores but that she do that the the that a partner is contentious is gonna there's crafty cheating uh, components uh to that but primarily publicly adulterous not just yeah exactly making that which is private public the scarlet letter mm-hmm. oh but how else do you get pearls right uh, i think it's of the eighth not just a sticky end but a violent public execution usually in some form oh no but scooters was so bad and out. not necessarily like uh, an official one from the state but like you know you were dragged out in front of the pub and beaten to death in front of the devil yeah the other previous in the seventh is interesting to me as kenobi enemies and it's that the enemy is very angry but has little power which is fascinating as well, right? But again, this is not an empowering anger for anyone. This doesn't do any, this doesn't seem to do very much benefit. I find it fascinating that like, okay, so within the, the Ifa way of reading, just the, the, the possibility of, because Ifa is, de- is derived, because you're deriving two legs at once, the figures therefore that fill those, the, what would be the two witnesses and the judge are independently derived. So you have the possibility of the reading that you go for being Ika, 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 Ika witnessed by two Ikas, which I, I know some of that came up for in a reading what's been like in regards to their question, but like this is, 
things are wrong. This is crazy. Reverse it. Stop. Like, do not pass go. Figure out how to end this. Just as a warning sign there, because that's that is not something that would come up in geomancy as far as a shield chart. No, there are there are alternative mer- versions of how to cast and how to do things like that where you could like, if you're throwing druid sticks again as we talked about you know the the maths of a geomantic shield chart mean that you're already going to get one of 128 yeah. uh, possible configurations and that if you had two witnesses that were rubius uh they'd always be a populist judge because that's how the maths works yeah. whereas with the two legs of a, a, a nodum yeah. you have one of 256 possibilities just straight off. Yeah. Right. And so, and again, like that throw is not dependent on the rest of the chart. But you, yeah. It, I mean, it is, but it's not, it's dependent on what came before in the reading, but it's not keyed to a particular place in the chart in the way that a shield chart says that Rubius is in the seventh. And thus, yeah. I guess what I, what I, what's fascinating to me is that like, because Ifa is dual legged. So if we're talking Ika, we're really talking Ika Meji. So Ika, Paired with Ika. Mm. So then by the time you're done and the, the two witnesses are Ika, you're literally talking about Ika appearing six times, like right. to, to give its message because right. it's doubled itself. And then because there's three Magis, it's extremely strong. So it's just, that's fascinating because that's not, again, it's not something you're going to see in the standard Western geomantic way of doing things. And the way that, from, from what I've been lucky enough to hear from people talking about it, that the sign falling again confirms where we're going with it mm-hmm. that like it, yes we we're following this trail and it's good that that f- figure fell again because it tells us that like yes this is we are uncovering we are getting to the root of the thing whereas again in, in more of a western geomantic framework you would have to be thinking about what's the deceit about the deceit and it may be referring to the original rubius and that's where springing comes in so the thing that's present in the first house springing to a bunch of other houses, mm. which is itself kind of related to perfection, but is also about, you know, this is the same pattern playing out in different ways, mm. or different things producing the same patterns. Or, you know, the other wonderful thing, more than one thing can be wrong, right? There can be more than one, like, type of Rubius screwing you up at the moment. I like the, I, I, I find the physical tools of bloodletting fascinating, like bloodletting knives that have the, the heavy, it's like a heavier rounded blade that looks almost like a scarification tool, but, and then you just tap with a, a mallet or even your fingers hard will like push it into the skin. It's just, there's something, I don't know, this concept of sangria of bloodletting is, is fascinating. We're rising to the surface. We are, but again, it's not to, to start that. Well, I guess it is to start a new thing. Many Grimoric operations have along with that purifications of, you know, bread and meat and abstaining from, from sex or whatever for three days also include oh you should let blood before you do this you should yeah. not go in with ill humors and even the like the relationship would i be wrong in thinking like how that then bloodletting then invokes amicio because of the flow the loss yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. like there's an in, anyway, amicio would be associated with oshe <laughs> yeah. so there's an interesting relationship there of the flow and like the remedy is to let things flow so oshun is the remedy to babalue's heat by being cool water and here the flow of blood through the skin surface by controlling it is the remedy to the heat that was in the yeah. blood. Coming we, to we, we love Amicio in the sixth when we're doing any kind of recovery for any kind of illness and disease because it signifies the loss of that ailment or dyscrasia of that bad mix. Yeah, we love so, so. There's something that is so, so uh, volcano imagery is fascinating because we, we associate it with other signs, but there is something there of like 
the heat building that comes through and then like the venting yeah. that like really like it, being swollen with bad humors in bad in a bad humor yeah and you and it will find a way to express that's the whole point of, of bloodletting like because if you don't do that it'll come out some other way in, in, you know in in crazy in dream in physical illness in uh hateful words it, it, it will find a way to get out it can't stay inside you are not a self-contained unit you are a porous node in a human scene how to so do you find do you, do you yeah do you let it do you express it in a way that's now's the time we've decided that we're going to bleed all over the place but as far as seal kalunga goes of eshu kalunga of mm-hmm. mr kalunga um in, in not being the kalunga itself but being the emissary of the representation of this great vast ocean of the dead that permeates all living matter, the, the fire in that liquid, that the association with the lava flow and things like this for, for some authors of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, mm. the, the beating heart wrapped in thorns that, that emits fire as well. Mm. So it, there's something interesting that of like the warmth where the Kalunga is, we talk about it as the ocean of the dead, but it is as much fire as anything. It's, it's an ocean that is the lubricating force born of the weight between the two worlds rubbing against each other. So that friction allows for fire and the, and the Kolunga, Eshu Kolunga arises out of this as no more as, you know, we have, we have syncretized as Sira and Eshu Kolunga himself is kind of like depicted a certain kind of deformed little way off to the side. Some say poised to attack. Some actually looks like he's being, it's more like defense, okay. like he's hiding something, but that the, there is a relationship with both the deep depths of the ocean and to therefore which in a Congolese imagination is tied to the forest of the cemetery, to the world of the dead in general, that the... the Using that whole forest with a human face painted on, there's an emissary that comes forth in from that and in the course of that. Well, in the in the sense, like, forest is a world of the dead, but, like, still, he's still ocean there. But, like, yeah, that there's... The way that Eshukulunga is viewed is that there's a tie to that mystery. There's a tie to the fluids that swirl when you bury bodies in the ground that like they are joining the collective fluidity of the area by decomposition now if you're in a concrete box the way we do it now it's less flow but like you know it's gonna you're that goo that's in every box is still making up an ocean of the dead in every cemetery and, mm-hmm. and certainly the ocean of the dead of the forest just the ground and the, my, the the roots and the mycelia and like the dead that were buried at the roots of those trees that then overtake them there's something that flow is interesting because then we can talk about it as moisture. Yes, but it is also a flow of something else entirely. The heartbeat of the sap. There's a lot of things that we can talk about through secretism stuff, stuff and and. Some authors are, are really love the huge correspondences and some are like, ah, let's, let's engage the spirit on his own terms. But the association with like cliffotically of the, with the ravens of dispersion that, that can be talked about, like ravens come back, of course. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there is a usefulness in, in permutating on what a spirit's function might be, but at the same time, is it the spirit? Like, where does that? Again, are we dialing a saint? Are we dialing a demon? Yeah. Or like even extrapolating to the point where it's theory upon theory as opposed to like but what is it for the people that know this spirit intimately like let's how can we get in conversation with them to be like what is the spirit 
in your experience, which is all we can ever speak to on anything truly, especially with facts, apparently. Um, <laughs> well, you can prove anything with facts. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I'm curious what that is. Can you speak to Sirach a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was doing some preliminary going over things again for this episode and expected it to be a very complicated, sticky uh, wicket in terms of Sirach is sometimes seems to be in some versions of the Gororian Verum, seems to be the same spirit or have a huge overlap with Skirland, where the main intermediaries about which a fair bit has been written now, chiefly in Buffy, you know, Arjeki and folks like that. Actually, in looking at Joseph H. Peterson's wonderful clavicular version of the clavicular Solomonist to Secretus, the published The Secrets of Solomon, it's pretty clear in the earliest texts that become the Verum that Sirach is almost entirely talked about in terms of hierarchy, which is to say interrelationality with other spirits, mm-hmm. right? That Sirach is uh, named as the one of the dukes, they are called deputies yet, dukes of Lucifer. It's uh, Sirach and Satanakia. The put of that may well be a, a corruption of Sult. Of just, it is. The deputies are Satanakia and, but because Sult was written weird, it looked like put, which then became the front of that that may well be a oh it says celebrate (laughs) right it says number 37 with rice yeah yeah cool tattoo bro so it's pretty clear to begin with he's a deputy so why is this a a, a duke the first my duke subordinate of, of lucifer who then has a bunch of subordinates under him so again we have the classic hierarchy of chief deputy or duke and and subordinate okay so far, so good. The complication comes from the fact that, firstly, Sirach also has 18 spirits under him that are the main 18 of the Verum. Yes. Clownic to Hook uh, to The point that gets weird is that, turns out, the first deputy of Lucifer is a real hot ticket. And like most, ver- oh, it's, I mean, most is unfair. Many versions of the Verum, when the hierarchy shifts slightly, when the same classic Grimoire stuff, the, the same familiar dramatis personae are slightly rearranged in the order of things mm. some more than others some are very tied to being first like Baal but the the first deputy of Lucifer changes in and in, in quickly isn't Sirach at all it's quickly Satanakia and Gliarept or it's in, in, in the other ones the, in, in, in the ones I favor it becomes Lucifer's Rafakali and Satanakia so the first deputy is shifting but what's kept is that mention afterwards that he's in the hierarchy but also he has all these other spirits that are main ones that we work with here because they're powerful that he has under him mm. and so that stays in the light and so we don't hear about Sirach in some versions of the Verbs until this throwaway line of like oh also Duke Sirach has these spirits and you're like yeah who's this guy so my, my, my point is without hopefully going too far into grimoire nerdery that he is understood <laughs> but that's why our listener is here <laughs> but he's understood as that which is used to bring forth a bunch of other spirits that okay. was like primary low. Which, I mean, and not even in terms of like a duke is powerful. And again, with the other dukes that become deputies, Satanakia, etc. It's pronounced a pooty. <laughs> they have, in the Grand Grimoire, they have their offices as well. Mm-hmm. But Sirach doesn't have office, doesn't have a sense of like what he turns up as, what he rules other than the other spirits. And so that's the part that I'm interested in terms of like, why do people, why do people have the, both their names on them, on their lips of Eshikulonga and, and Sirach? And, for me, it, it comes down to hierarchy. It comes down to there's an order that we work and that this spirit can help bring forth other spirits in some way. Certainly. I mean, as far as the, the Gregorian syncretism of, of Eshuk Lunga then being a, a parallel to Omlup, 
and it's not clear in, in parallel, not the same meaning like parallel office two two pillars, but the flow charts of this power relationship vary based on which book you're reading. And some of them, it's more like you have the, the capeta of, of Lucifer Moore and Ash and yeah. that then filter down into what you're calling the deputies, the Marabo Mangueira, Chiri, Voludu, Dos Rios, and Chancahua. That then there's, they have theirs and then it kind of cuts off. It is, yeah. And then somehow Omolo and Kolunga are responsible for all the other issues. But really, a few other flowcharts clearly show that no, that group of deputies is managing something that is unique to the capeta and they're catering to the needs of those primary three kings in a very specific way. And that the next under all of them would be Omolo and Kalunga as far as like, so the expression of this in, into the world of matter, into the world built, you know, that's not just the world of the dead. Like how do the dead give fruit to something? Right. How do these spirits interact with us? So Asha Kalunga does end up being a, a placeholder for that, which is the, the Kalunga itself, the, 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 the great mystery that is ocean and water and fire all at once, which then breaks to part, like makes me think of, Chapter two in Ochoa's Society of the Dead and like the discussion of the ambient Kalunga versus the responsive Kalunga that, that the dead that you know are the responsive ones, the ones that know their names still, but as they fade and where are their names are forgotten, they become part of the ambient Kalunga. And that's literally what the Kalunga is. It's the bodies of those that are forgotten that are being swam through, swum through by the things that are remembered. And this being built upon the dead and the reincarnation cycle always being built upon family descendants that like when you have no more descendants then you will not reincarnate because there's a, that's nowhere for you to go they cannot respond in that way that blood knows they blood they can't call you back from yes so there's no like we we can't we exactly we can't help you cross the line but the kalunga as far as this metaphor is still very built upon an understanding of uh especially of fukiao and cosmology the african uh, bantu i think is the book which is a, a, a fundamental book and understanding especially anything Congolese. But it, there's very little alternative to Fukuyama as well. The main only alternative is McGaffey, who is studying things firsthand. But he found that the word Kalunga was not even used a lot by local Un- Angola. And it was more just talking about like crossing the river. There was a boundary that was crossed. There was a border that was crossed between the world of the living and the world of the dead. And it is very much viewed like a physical place. It was like a Stixian river of like, no, they crossed a river. I don't know where it is. When, I, when it's my turn to cross, it will be in front of me. But this idea of connecting to river and crossing it is as much going into it that it is crossing through the membrane of the Kalunga into this other world. So if Omolu is on one side, right, that the dead, that you are the living or entering the world of the dead, the shepherd and the shepherdess of souls, then Kalunga itself is like pulling things across the other way, perhaps, or is just all crossings across between the world of the living and the world of the dead or the world between spirit and matter of you know the sun itself crosses the kalunga line it has to come out of the other side that that the kalunga is both and by necessity then a reference to the division between as well as the world beyond that division between so there, there it is an intermediary at all times it's the intermediary between the world of the living and the world of the dead which is its own fascinating thing and and within that we get things we get the flowcharts within the flowcharts. We get the eddies within the river. We get the, the side projects that you're doing while you're also doing your main project with the, the, you know, the, the touring bands. Get out of my head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, 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 yeah, we see that. So a lot of these, 
Oh, hierarchy also implies that it's all one way. And that's not always the case with some spirits. Gerlin, again, seems to serve from below and from above as both like a lowerarchy. Most trust. Yeah, right. Or a malarchy. <laughs> I do enjoy that one of the main like like definitions of of, of postmodern is to the dismantlement of the hierarchy to a lateral. Mm. Like that that is that's part of like the like the stack blocks become horizontal. Right. Which is we we talked about when that gets bad is we, we call flatlining, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh moderation, you horrible who Okay, so so speaking of moderation and, and leveling and things like this and the petri dish that you just brought up like so divination is our type of magic yeah because i think obviously i mean that like if we're, we're trying to figure this out like we're closing in on three hours mm-hmm. and john d might have to be like because john d is, a, is an important figure yeah like notably so and that that is a thing of like okay can you discuss john d without bringing up enochian like more than once or twice can you discuss john d without bringing up kelly like you can't but i mean like how where does it go from there i don't know maybe you think that I, I absolutely put the pressure of talking about John D on Al because if someone is a specialist in early modern British magic, they're going to know more about D than I claim to have forgotten. Sauce oh. this guy, you know? <laughs> the 007, which is erroneous, but still... Maybe no, yeah, yeah. That was because we can't prove it was ever a real thing doesn't mean it wasn't. Right. You're not paranoid just because they can't prove that they're not out to get you or whatever they're saying. Print the myth and something about dead magicians everyone take a drink being magnets for stories and being magnets from older stories whoever controls the first lie controls the truth right but okay so i was just thinking about the divination side and then death card popped in my head i'm like okay the death card is totally appropriate and we're talking about cool events so and yes. mediation because the, the, the just to throw the death card out there which we haven't actually talked about at all mm-hmm. which is fascinating because it's it is the nameless arcanum right so it's number 13 it is not called death in it, many decks at all. The name is not written. We do not speak its name. Mm. It's just now. There's also the Scorpio connection. Yes. It's not the only attribution to Rubius, but it's what Hayden and I tend to favor. So yeah, it's uh, the, the Scorpio. <laughs> Good old Hayden and I, you know, it's only been dead a few hundred oh, years, but <laughs> like Hayden and I, he says, Hayden and I, <laughs> not Hayden, whom I read and agree with, but he's the one that Hayden and I agree he is. Wow. <laughs> Are your pants tighter? Does the pomposity fit in that belly? Or is it just... Um, Look, you know, just hanging out. See, obviously the first bit of time he's starstruck, but, you know, after... That's true. He is a necromancer, and he puts both the necro and pants back in necromance. Hell yeah. But, yeah, so... It's by necropants, yet yeah, on the show. It, it, Google it. Put on your necropanties. So the 13th is... It, I mean, the 13th is, a, is its own arcanum. Right. As being the, the reflection of the faithful apostles plus Jesus. Well, well, faithful if we include Judas in the first 12 and then there's Jesus on top of it. But like somehow that excludes the women. But 13 being just that the, this is tied. We can't erase that 13th is the card number. Right. One is, yeah, the one after 12. So the, the, the and 12 having so many like senses of completion whether we're talking about babylonian counting systems or like months or, or what have you or or zodiac signs but like the the thing after that like we've got the it's all arranged and then there's something else now that that that, that comes in and yeah. like either is at odds with it or that like disturbs it in some way or has to seek that it changes a force of change of some kind yeah the, the death is rebirth the death rebirth is very 
common interpretation of this is like, oh, it's not necessarily physical death. I mean, it's rarely a physical death, except like, I, I mean, I loved it. Was it Red Violin where there's literally the terror readings in the beginning and like death pops up and it's like, this is not a good card. <laughs> like, that's not what they say, but like the reaction to the death card popping up is like the Petri dish of like death is in the room now. Thank you very much. You suck, right. client. I can't <laughs> like, so we have to spin this in a way that makes me not like want to hurt you mm-hmm. like 15 more dollars. And I'll tell you how not to die, which I'm really telling you that I'm telling you, you'll die, not me. I'm making sure you're being the one talked about here. Death is facing you, client. Right. But I find the, the, the death card imagery is so interesting. Like there is the, the Swarza deck, right? Where it's the, like, like almost a Shiva like Grim Reaper mm. with like pulling the head and like the, uh, the, the head is on the ground there. Mm. But in the Rider Waite deck, it is on the pale horse. So it, it is a messenger mm-hmm. of something else. Like death as the messenger of God is its own thing. Like this is the will of God is that we are mortal, that we die. It is that black flag with what a Tudor rose on it. Mm-hmm. And that like the Pope and other people are, are kneeling before it as the great leveler. Yeah. But this notion of movement that is with death, that it is about transition. The moment of death is not, isn't what there's, you're dead, but you're not always visited by death. Mm-hmm. Death is the transition between the two. And an ending, of course. And it's the visiting of death, not just like the existence of it. Yeah. Now, I'm very fascinated by the relationship between, especially when you're talking about mourning as a practice, as an experience, as a performance. And then when I'm, and just I'll say it once on air and then I probably won't, like, that's not true. I'll probably explain it many times, but like performance being a script that we follow that's not necessarily, it might be conscious, it might not. But the process of how we grieve is very much a script. We are performing. Morning. Performing a task yes. of the thing, not performing pretending. Yeah, like like performative would not be an insult in this. Performative like the, is describing the act of doing something that we recognize. The fact that we can call it morning right. means that it is performing a script. Right. What um, color do you wear to the funeral? Yeah, exactly. Right. And red. A fancy dress out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we stand simply far away with a parasol smoke. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that bitch. Lucky 13. <laughs> yeah, there's something quite fascinating about this card that, that, that it is so. Is the Brady Way Death like. I'm sorry, it's a Is it armored as well? Yes. Oh. And visor up. Right. So. Armored advisor up. Now it is na- it is named in the Rider Waite deck because it does say death, but like traditionally it is not a card that had a name, especially in the Marseille Tarot of like, no, do not invoke it. Right. But that, I mean, there's another line where we need to be able to see dangers and, 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 and fatal things, fatal, fatality, but we don't want to see them too close up. And we certainly don't want them to see us back. Yes. Seren. Hmm. I think the, one of the fascinating things with the death card itself is that you see the towers of the moon. Mm-hmm. So the never ending story Sphinx towers are in the background mm-hmm. and the sun is setting between us. So you now have the sun and the moon on the, the right side of the card above the Pope's head. And then there's the river. So sticks is still invoked in there with like the dead King on the ground, the Pope pleading with death because obviously, Oh God, something's happening. And then like the maiden that we see from other cards, like with like, these are figures from other cards yeah. So the Hierophant is now begging for the life and that like the king, like the emperor, like these are, there's something really beautiful about the, the Rider Waite, Coleman Smith imagery. It's not just a collection of disparate figures or, or it comes for the cards themselves. Yes. That is quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. So like we've now met at the meta or micro the micro or something like <laughs> we are not in Kansas and Alice is definitely with the caterpillar. 
who are you? <laughs> so yeah, I just, there's the death card has a lot of really beautiful imagery, like the sun and the goalposts, the, the river there, like the fallen emperor, the visor is up. You recognize me for what I am. And the wind is blowing always, I believe, towards the, yeah, the wind is blowing towards the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that like, you know, which way the winds are coming, like death is being announced on the wind. It is something you can smell and see it coming because not only do we see it coming on the card, the card announces the death. Mm-hmm. So the card is the flag blowing towards you. Right. Like we see have warning here. This is what divination is. Mm-hmm. But it's funny when we talk about divination, Al and I were chatting a couple weeks ago of like diviners are the worst people with like in, un, uncertain uncertainty, like, of, like, I don't want to no, not know. Like, how dare, like, like, I built a whole life around a practice of, like, I need to know at least a hint of what's happening. But are you really going to change anything? Like, the tidal wave is coming. Like, it, it's like, it's funny because, yes, knowing what the weather is helps us dress. But it's not like it makes it any warmer. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still fucking cold out right now. Right. Um, And, like, you put layers on. But, like, you could always go outside and go, the old joke of, like, what's the weather? Like, look outside. Like, what do you think it is? Or like, oh, I don't know. What do you think? Like, oh, my God. And you'd be like, are these layers sufficient? No. Let me get a few more layers. Like, there's that trial and error. Mm-hmm. But, like, so there's... Crucially, we risk knowing the word for a thing, meaning that we control the thing. Yes. The thing. Oh, yes. The great fallacy of the Western mind. I'm sure that is the only fallacy that ever. But, <laughs> ah, great fallacy. Not ta. Ah, so divination itself. So it's warning us of death. We've talked about the Petri dish that happens. Like death is in the room because death is being announced in this card. Like the cards are dying in the Rider Waite version, which is fascinating. Like, I don't know. It brings up the the angel of death within uh, Islam Mm. thing for me of like that. So in the, I can't remember the specifics and forgive me for paraphrasing this and make fun of me that's cool but i with the gist that i'm remembering right now is like at the end of times you see god talking to muhammad and peace be upon him and the angel of death and michael and raphael uh, was israfel mm-hmm. and the angel of death are there and god says to michael and this is the first time Michael sees God. Michael has never seen God in this thing. He just acts on faith right. that who created me, I will obey. Right. He hears him, but that like seeing God in all his glory. And it's like, who's here? And he, you know, who recounts it and like, great. And the, he tells the angel of death now kill Michael. And Michael is gone. Michael is vanquished at the end of time. And then Raphael, who is like hugely big, right? Like right. Jibril is there. Also Gabriel is there, but like they go through all the angels, and the last one is that death itself dies too. Mm-hmm. So like that is the end of time is that we have now stepped out of time because death is the last thing that dies. Right. So the witnessing of that, of like going through the angels themselves of like, of Jibril and Michael. And I think I just switched it. It's Jibril. That was the one that was the big one. Cause that is the big one. Michael and Jibril and Israfil are, are killed. Mm-hmm. Um, that the angels themselves die when we end ending. Yeah. And like, and what that means, it becomes a lovely never ending story and a house of leaves unto itself of like, we can go back into the memory and world can be created again. But, you know, are we on Groundhog Day mother or, you know, what is this to, to, what is it when death dies? There's something quite fascinating there, which we, I mean, there's mythic justification, but exploration of like when someone 
upsets the balance of the world by erasing death, by healing people, bringing people back from the dead, pulling them back across the Kulunga. Like we are here, mm-hmm. necromancy of becoming like resurrection, not just necromancy. And and this point about it being against the natural order has this element not just of like, don't do that, we don't like it, some authority figure waving a finger, but of you are unbalancing the, the, the precarious interplay of the worlds of the living and the dead. And if no one's dying, then like we're, the whole universe becomes unbalanced in some way. We need to plant birch, get to protect those deads and let them be deads. And let the whippoorwills guide us in the woods through swamp gas and birch beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think divination is such a, it's something that we talk about all the time in broad strokes, but I like that notion that, that, that a diviner is also manipulating fate to help create it by making someone aware of it. So like it's well, the knowledge is an action. Yeah. yeah and the, the sibling Cassandra complex of like telling someone they're, What's in store will make it happen half the time. Like now the actions will be in place. You had to hear it to make it like, what does that mean? Like that's, that's. And and when we have divinate, one of the, you know, many things that I, that when we did the, the psych art conference, psych art that the, the Vanessa put on, Vanessa and Carl and. Oh, psych art. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Uh, I was like psych art. Psych art call. Hashtag psych art. It, I, I got to be able to recommend geomancy to a bunch of uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. Of like, oh, this isn't just measuring what's going on with the client. It also tells you how to break the news to them. Mm. It also, it can be read to show this, you know, the sentence, which is, you know, the main non-consecutive edition figure we use, the main way we chart. Here's this pattern. Here's this pattern. Here's the pattern of marking the client. Here's the pattern that summarizes the reading. When the client meets the reading, this is what happens. Like that's the sentence is not just the result of the result, but what will the client do about this reading and how you're framing it. That gives us hints about how to not just know what's the case, but how to make that information useful to anyone. So hopefully our, our, our divinations also include ways in which we can not only seek clarity but uh, of, of understanding, but clarity of articulation. One of the cited uses for the like a domino in a bone reading kit in modern bone reading as like the neo-hoodoo way of doing it, you know, Sangoma inspired, but not derived. But the domino face up can mean a few different things, but depending on who's talking about it, but that one, the client knows why they're coming versus they don't know why they're coming or two, the client is not in a state to hear reasons why they need to hear remedies. Like you can't go into the past here. It's just this person is coming for our results or it, but inevitably it's giving a, a warning about the client's disposition, knowledge or motives. Yep. In, in, in coming. And there's something really interesting about that. Certainly with whether it's Odu or, or reading with spirits, it, there's this thing of you now know what state the client's head is in by the energy that's being discussed. And we know that there's ways like then the more you know about the client too, of course, like you have to approach them in a different way. Or if in, in spirit traditions where you're like asking the spirit something, if there's a list of spirits that want to appear, you're trying to communicate it in a way that flatters the style of the person's most personal spirits. So we would imagine that if someone who followed a certain deity that might be, you know, not so good with criticism, that maybe you don't criticize in this one, that like the advice has to be colored in lots of compliments right. and like suggestions of like, you know how you could be even greater is to maybe incorporate this type of thing. And the person's like, oh, yeah. instead of going like, I cannot believe that you haven't like paid your taxes in four years. Like, that's not how to go about it. You're like, no, like, 
we got it. You know how other men have fallen before you that you really should pay attention to right. is that they, they didn't pay their taxes. Yeah. And like, I want to make sure that you're around for like, we need to figure out how to erase those so they're no longer a problem for you. Can't make them go away, but we can get them done, pay the late fees and move on. Mm-hmm. But like knowing how to, because it is important, speaking of performance, <laughs> which no one was, <laughs> but how you say something is as important as what you're saying. If there's any actual importance to the communication, if you're sitting there masturbating into the wind, tongue flapping, tongue masturbation, tonguing yourself. There we go. If you're sitting there tonguing yourself, that really you, unless you're doing that, that you have to vary how your audience, based upon what your audience's receptivity is. Yeah. In the same way that if someone says, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Do you just repeat exactly what you said at the same volume? That never works. Like people, you have to change words, move things around, decide if it's volume and that's all it is or decide is like did i use a word they don't know like which part didn't you understand how can i ask a clarification question to keep a, a missio from happening mm-hmm. like how can i keep a flow so that the flow isn't degrading so that it's not bringing complete loss but yeah. like just a flow that's a that's the fascinating one for me because my, my one of my main distinctions that i find used for least between a missio emptying mm-hmm. like active process and present process versus Tristicia hollowed out, emptied. Yeah. Okay. There we go. And that's jumping up for me, particularly because it's Tristicia in the first that will, that, that always marks that the client either consciously or unconsciously is going to concentrate on the sorrowful and is, is not going to hear good news. Mm. Is only going to concentrate on the sorrows that will bring more sorrows. Yeah. Which again is like replicating the thing. But it is also has this occult philosophy to it of like like is moving to like whether it likes it or not. Oh, see, okay. So tristicia is you know it's full emptiness, right? So yeah, it's the two 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 well. Yeah, the opposite of Leticia. Yep. Um, but in it, what's interesting that is like it's that which needs to be filled. Mm-hmm. So like it, the corresponding order for that is Okana, and which would be like the world began in one. So there is a, a deep sadness and things there because there's nothing. But like in it, the creation of the world happens because we, it needs to be filled. Something needs to, yeah. So like, yeah, this light fills the void because there is a longing. The longing cannot happen until the world cannot happen. So that longing has something to fill. Yeah. And the the container that is there. So it's completely spilled. Like it is just, there's nothing there, which is interesting just in the architecture because it's that U shape. Yeah. Or it's one shell speaking and the opposite being Obara or Letizia of like, how do you not let your joy spill? It takes a lot of work to constantly keep throwing it up, mm-hmm. not vomiting, but like literally keeping the ball aloft, which yeah. we talked about. Right. Luna. No, that's fascinating. I think honestly, let's give D a shot. Yeah. Because I mean, I know you've done the work. It's pieces. I mean, it's things to remember. Like, so Enochian is, and that, that, that corpus is definitely, you know, a unique kind of grimoric magic. And the, the milieus around it are very particular because we do actually have a lot of material. However, we also have, we're also extrapolating from that material because so much of it was lost. Not only the famous story of, you know, the angels telling D not to tell people about this. And so it gets hidden and various parts of it getting used to line pies and to start fires. 
until it is realized that this is, is important documents to be kept and handed over to Elias Ashmole. But also D himself goes through this huge period where his, he feels he's failed his, apop- his, his apocalyptic prophethood and that he has messed up the max. He has one of those like, oh, damn it, I, I picked the wrong. Turns out it, was, it wasn't the 10th of July. I added the dates up wrong. Everyone go, oh, we're not. Being, he should have found an American religion. We're not being wrapped well, up. Well, he kind of did. Right. Like, but Ooh. like in some ways, right? Yeah. But like. But- so he, he burns a good 10 years of material. So on the one hand, we have definite diaries and. What says natal fires? Natal fires. Sunside. Oh my gosh. I think he's a cancer. Yeah. So he's known as a, a mathematician and a natural philosopher in Australia. He's like a hotshot mathematician. He's, he's translating Euclid relatively young. Although also for 31 isn't that young for the time period either. Yeah. Because eighth grade is a f- better education than a lot of people have, have in our college now. Right. So there's a lot of things. But in terms of being our dead magician rather than our style of magic, we can't not talk about Enochian magic necessarily, but I'm far more interested in, in him and his figure and what that says about a bunch of things. Like how does John Ding form a locus about which we can talk about how do various channel, uh, the channelings relate in a practice? How does someone else's practice inform your practice? Where do, you know, where does Liber Lobos, uh, play into the heptarchia, into the, you know, the tablet of Nalvade? The, you know, there's, there's debate about how these things relate to each other as well. Is he channeling a bunch of different things from a consistent cosmos, which seems to be the case? Uh, they, 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 but this is, I think, one of the things that I love with D is there's, it's a little bit Hubbardish <laughs> in the sense that like the early explorations of D were then corroborated by his experience with Kelly mm. of like this extreme code chart thing that he's obsessed with is there because one, he's a polyglot. He's a brilliant man who's well, arguably one of the smartest men in England at the time. Right. And certainly in Western Europe is just viewed for like, you know, things. So like, let's explore what this is. But his maps of his just doesn't even ask about the book, like to them directly. But what about this thing? The, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, Ideally, yeah. Yeah. Soiga? At least at the start. Yes. Yeah. Who's the other one? Yeah. Who of memory. Wow. <laughs> but the, the, is it of any excellence? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, was it all for naught? Or like, cause it like, I didn't produce anything with it other than I wrote it down. Like it's there, but it's like Hubbard, like right or gardener like here's my fiction that was really hiding the truth all along but like d doesn't seem that he wants to deceive himself he wants the truth but it's really hard to ignore the fact that kelly feels like a little bit like playing into d's desires so sure. not saying that it's false made out. No, no, but that's the thing like all, all, all these things can be true he can be an he can be a shy step and have great spirit contact. Absolutely. And those spirits can turn up. And that would make a lot more sense of him having these long emotional arguments about how he doesn't want to do this anymore. Like with these spirits and with D. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's more helpful to think about like a lot of these things are true at once. So yeah, I mean, that's D's whole point is he's the smartest guy. Who do you go to when you're the smartest guy? Like human knowledge is, is again in the post-lapsarian world is terrible and can't get at the reality of things. We need a language to be able to accurately measure and articulate the problems and how to fix them. And so... Well, the degradation from gold. Yeah. The gold to yep. the iron of like, fuck, like we've lost the purity. So if like we can get back to the the pre 
lapsarian thing of like wet and finding primitive languages was a big thing natural language. rather like oh amaranth languages or basque or a really good natural, natural expressions of, of chirologia as well of like the the hand gesture stuff uh-huh not just awesome roman like make this symbol when you want people to laugh or or pay attention to or this you know the technical stuff but the lived i would say the lived expressive humoral stuff of it of like people will do these things with their hands because that is natural for a body to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is interesting in terms of like ignoring cultural milieus and the- like humans smile. They might smile at different things, but smiling is an effect and it has, you know, a certain thing that babies will smile in laughter at things. Right. Right. So the second language doesn't develop until the thing called Inarchian and where Angelical doesn't develop until a little later. And there are some earlier transmissions and Logoeth is, is used to pull the calls out of it, but it itself isn't as debatable as whether it's a language. It, oof. I really want it, but like, as far as derived or like fantastical languages or whatever, like, evangelical, I love it as a ritual language. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love the sound of it. Again, I, I like the linguist in me is like, is it a language? It is a hot debate. Right. Of like, it has too much in relationship to English. Like they try, like they, the angels or D or somebody tried to make it more foreign in a way that is entirely predictable for people with the exposure to languages that they have. Yeah. And assuming that, you know, that, oh, we're going to, it's not, but like, especially when you're at the pinnacle and believe that English itself is a divine language, we're literally one generation past the start of the Reformation, which, so like, English itself is like, I think the first English funeral was for Seymour, for, for Jane Seymour. Like that was the first funeral or maybe it was, I believe that was it. She was the first funeral said in English. Well, like um, public state. And yeah, public, yeah. like, like that's where, where the English is now being acknowledged and ha- like England has pushed the boundaries of like, we can get away with more. And because we're getting away with it and our empire is doing well, then therefore we're blessed by God. So right. like. It's just, it's hard. It reminds me of just the discussions of like American sign language is its own language. But then there is also a form of sign language that is directly related to English, which uses sign, but that's not a language. That's a system that is too tied to English to be its own language. And Enochian feels a little bit like that. Yeah. I think that's fair. You know, it's very fair. I mean, there, there are a bunch of like particular things people uh, jump on Babylon to me, the wicked. It's- couple of european cities are also words for like bad things mm-hmm. milan i think something like that means means, means evil as well i mean that point around him being a renaissance figure is really important and if we're talking about who is d then that's a crucial one right he's he's partway this renaissance figure between tradition and you know doing something new and written and pen and reform i think the the use of Crystallomancy. His use of the sh- uh, showstones is a really good example of being somewhere between ho- high culture and low culture, between the, the the past and the future, between using some of the again that creative cut up, using what we already have to work out what we don't yet have. And so this is the criticism of like there are plenty of people using crystal walls. What do you? We don't yet have to work out what we didn't have. <laughs> you got a eureka face. <laughs> strong eureka face no i was just mirroring many times like the the crystal metsy and the mirror so the reflection and like immediately obviously the moon is an invoked thing there but also venus is famous for the mirror and then i was thinking about amicio's reflection is not amicio <laughs> right like the reversal of it like to reverse fortune through the mirror is quite interesting to you so in going through anything through 
gazing is to seek what you don't know or to seek the remediation of the current state. It's just amusing on divination through gazing into crystals or reflective surfaces. So there's some debate about the the black mirror. And mostly, actually, when it comes down to his his morphology, D draws his tombs, they're the early version of it, and it's the the good the goodness of the, the bigness of a goodly orange, and it has the cross petite and the thing on top, which is very much what Lily describes a century later, mm-hmm. being like what people used to uh, to scry with, often with, if not the, the the cross on the top, then at least with some you know of the three main archangels' names on there. And it isn't. It might be like there's 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 the old uh, you know Pogrenian, Is it a circle? Is it a a, a mirror? Is it a, a, a sphere? Um, is it a, a story of the me? Is it a story of the brick? Or is it a mirror? Well, the issue is the mirror that's clay, that is definitely an Aztec mirror, like this definitely obsidian, has a handle. Like you would draw that. That's the point. So while it's mostly, uh, uh, Whitby who argues that we don't really have any evidence and it's probably Warpole trying to make some extra money in the auction, which he desperately needed, apparently, according to some. We just, it's not as, as clear as it perhaps could be. Although Pearson, for instance, is a lot more like, eh, you know, he may have went to a lot of mirrors. It definitely is from where it's from. Whether or not he used it is, I think, still not massively sufficiently proven. The other aspect is on the 21st of November of that year that like by some readings of it, it spontaneously appeared. That itself may have been efficient. And again, looking at like the excellent book mm-hmm. and its scrying record. There's no like, now this is a dream or now we looked into the crystal and saw this thing. No, it's a series of things that happened and it's very hard to tell. And some of the words... Which speaks to the idea of seeing itself yeah. in, in that mindset. Can you- and also the idea of calling being all day, if not a week-long process, right? So many of these operations are like, oh, you need to wait an hour after you do this for anything to happen, right? So this idea of like, we did the calls and now we've got to go do our errands, like maybe... Like the spirits are still going to turn up. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're not limited. There, there, there are whole parts of the Gerardus where you call in one place so that they'll turn up in another place. So this notion of like doing that in the in a careful little spirit room mm-hmm. and then being like, oh, that was an interesting dream. Let me write that down and go back to my real world now. Mm-hmm. Like dream is a different kind of reality and is acknowledged as such, right? Interesting, but it is a reality. So. What are we left with? We're left with D as prophet of the Enochian systems. We're left with, you know, his, is he, is it failed apocalypticism, right? Uh, this effort to return to the prelapsarian, right? Is he, the, the other sides of this, right? The Prospero archetype as well. A magus is magus, right? Man with the biggest library, the ear of the queen, right? A gifted, again, like not just from luck, right? Although, you know, his dad's position, again, Pleasure is Henry VIII's court is helpful for him. The other part that becomes interesting to me is the political nigromancy, is the spying on Poland, is the the fact that these spirits seem very concerned with colonizing the new world, with the coining of British Empire, things like that. But I think the thing that's worth bearing in mind about his magic that doesn't start to reiterate the great man of history model stuff is that he's a grimmerist. He's using the things he has to work out what he doesn't yet have. And so when the spirits are like, oh, you already have the Siglum Behemoth in Juratus. Like, it's in one of your books. You just go and you have that stuff. You just need to put it together in, in this particular order and, in, and, and use it in this particular way. Peterson also points out that he is definitely using 
an operation to discover in the crystal, it's called, which is from Sloan 3849, uh, which features the familiar three spirits of Angkor, Anakor, and Analos, mm. who also turned up in excellent book and things like that. And that's also the wider sense that D starts with uh, a shiny thing, a bunch of prayers, uh, a heightened piety, and a desire to talk to Michael about something. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, he's, he's very typical of his time. What's unusual is that he's, he's, he's wealthy in doing that, not some, you know, kind of man in a field outside a pub doing it for, for people. Well, that's interesting. I mean, given the, like, you, you brought up Elias Ashmole, who's also a parallel figure to that of, like, a wealthy aristocrat who is seeking the ways of the stonemasons guild mm-hmm. to be like i there's something in this right swapping it for the order of the yeah book yeah and like okay so but this that clearly argues that this isn't magic at all and he's, he considered it purely religious slash mystic that he isn't which i think is not necessarily a very helpful way of framing the interplay of what's considered religious life from and engagement with spirits. Well, I think more to that is that I don't see D as trying to save the reputation of magic in any way. He's He has a goal, which these magical skills and tools and interactions are part of a goal. But much like we can say, like, uh, or we've talked about before, like, are you a Kimandero calling goetic spirits or a goetic person calling Kimanda spirits? Of like, what is your paradigm that you're in? His priorities are about serving the state which he views as an emanation of God's order on earth. Yeah. That the bringing about of the apocalypse can happen now because we're in a good place. Like there's more to do. And so like doing God's work, it's like, oh, you practice this system. I don't practice. I'm doing what God needs me to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in the label. You know, religion is because of contact with other religions. Otherwise it's just the way. Yeah. And that's the other side of like, how much is he uh, conscious, you know, uh, apocalypse engineer, right? How much is he trying to hurry it along, redeem the world by fire? All this thing about, you know, opening gates and unlocking ethers and things like that. But on the flip side of that, and again, I don't mean to like start saying it was all plus or, or for the survey of, I love this survey in rereading again. I've been quoting, um, uh, uh, Joseph Peterson's John Dean's five books of mystery. Thank you, Peterson, for all the work you do. Seriously. Thank like, you. Very much. <laughs> really appreciate all your support and wonderful things you do. You did a quick survey of how practical the angel magic was to D, uh, which becomes, as he says, very unconvincing, right? So the aim, for instance, to evaluate the value or validity of texts like asking is in this book of soil or okay. The results are basically the question is evaded, which is like, if we were looking very cynically at this, is like the majority of angelical operations, the majority of like Enochian magics and, and Benjamin Rowe has a bunch of stuff about that. Joshua Norton and a bunch of stuff about this as well around, you know, you go to them asking like, I'm, I'm trying to look for buried treasure and their response will be, well, let us tell you why the planets are in the order they're in and why you are. Right. And whether this is spirits messing with us. Yeah. I was like, you're fucking with me, right? Right. Like right. you've got to be fucking with me. Like quit. Yeah. Question evaded is like probably like a great summation, but that itself <laughs> question evaded ceremonial magic right. from the pre-modern era to the current day right. <laughs> i don't mean that it's like this dabbing in, indictment of it all but i do think it's worth pointing out that just because you channeled something doesn't mean you're a master of it it doesn't mean you can certainly or that you even that you even interpreted it correctly or these things but like i do like that they correct tables and yeah. things like that like there is this thing of like when well, i told they have to whether or not they do or not or yeah. them. some of them they definitely do others like 
do I have to do that? And like, get him out of Do what you do, what that will, right? As the angel like flounces out, like, oh, you, yeah, you figure it out. <laughs> Big shot. I liked the, um, the depiction of Kelly that was in Discovery, which is, you know, neither neither the series itself, but like as completely mad from exposure to a book that he can tell is magical, but like he's in the service of the king of Prussia, but like he's just, it's, he hears it screaming. He can't see what the book is, but he hears the book screaming at him. And it's like, there is that soft spot where you want, you want, I think anybody who researches the history of Enochian in any, Enochiana in general, like you want Kelly to be sincere. You know, he's a charlatan, but like you want, because then you want D. Again, I don't think D in any way. You, we always raise D up as like the hero of like, you are the pinnacle. Like you are learned and you're trusting the magic is real, which gives a permission for the intelligentsia mm. of the world. Like ceremonial magic is always like this, the learned man's magic versus folk magic and witchcraft, which is like the, the pagan punk country bumpkin version of like the practical. Right. And like even the divide up until the 2000s of like ceremonial magic doesn't ask for practical results. It's about expanding your consciousness and your understanding of how the world works which is a really weird divide and not contingent with historical record. It's it's like post-Golden Dawn, yeah. post-19th century understanding. A lovely secular psychology slash spiritual development thing. Yeah. So it's I, I think there's a lot with John Dee where he becomes the, the model and we really want him to be correct. And it's so complex. Well, again, what's interesting about Kelly is, and again, the thing that gets quoted a lot is even if he was making it up, he was uh, an amazing, he was an amazing artist and poet, like to be able to remember all those things. But it's interesting looking at, say, even again, trying to contextualize them. And I'm not going to take things away from various accomplishments or historical horrors, but looking at, say, the, the visions that are common when in, say, uh, Fred Glassman and Sharon Hubbs writes uh, Magic of Rogues, I think it's Magic of Rogues, talks about the kind of visionary work, kind of visionary divining that cunning folk would do that wasn't action, there wasn't knowledge at distance. That was my spirits, while I, I had a dream and my spirits took me to and showed me a spiritual truth, right? And those are often, it, uh, often the parallels of some of the ones that are shown with, with William Neville and the various cunning men that are doing a kind of Macbethian witches telling him he's going to be, you know, Duke of, of, of a quarter or whatever. They look very similar to a lot of Kelly's alchemical and heraldic punning, but they're, they're all based off like we saw, I was taken to a tower and I saw these shields and I knew these shields signified these people. And when we look at Kelly, he's canting, he's doing, he's punning with his, frequently punning with his visions, it seems, or that that, or the spirits are punning with the visions, that there is a link of like what is shown with the watchtowers, with D, with Kelly, like he's, He's naming himself a lot, like a lot of the time he's, he's putting in his own bits and pieces of, again, heraldic mm-hmm. language of drawing together a bunch of different things in an effort to try and synthesize something, an effort to make golds, uh, whether literally for, for various, you know, European courts or just to, you know, get the hell out of the tower. It's just interesting to me that Heli, like D, I think is useful to be seen as a exemplary as a particularly interesting example of stuff that a bunch of people were doing in various ways mm-hmm. like they're not the only ones doing this not the only ones interested in achieving these kinds of things through these kinds of methods that prosper archetype is really interesting just as it is 
Right. And Hoover drowns his books at the end, right? Breaks his staff. So yeah, again, this tragedy, the D, D, the tragedy. And again, like by some reckon- Ultimately, this utility of the divider, did knowing all of this stuff get you anywhere? Mm. Like Greek Oracle, you were told this and you thought it meant one thing and it was true and it still came to pass, yeah. but you didn't alter your fate. I guess that's also the problem of trying to only seek, you know, he's not, he's doing some um, spying knowledge at different <laughs> stuff, but he's also mostly remote, trying to, remote viewing. Yeah, remote viewing stuff. But mostly he's trying to speak to angels about the nature of God and reality above the sublunary realm. So it's not, he's not doing, he's not predicting his own future. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the flip side of that might be like, maybe if you paid more attention to like whether or not this, whether or not telling the king of Poland that God hates him is going to be a good idea for your career. Like he was a dapper dresser though. Like this cut Mevba style. Mm-hmm. We actually were together when we saw that one exhibit that displayed the looking glass and had the detail of the paint, the famous painting that has the skull that's painted over. Right, right. And again, he doesn't necessarily die in disgrace in, in Rack and Ruin by some historian's standards. Like, his reputation is sufficiently dented, but like, and, and his libraries are, are raided, which is obviously, you know, fucking tragic. <laughs> My book! Uh, <laughs> but, but it's not like, you know, he doesn't die destitute of a straight he gets to, to crack on doing this, whatever version of his thing is. But he never had his three or his wife swap. Well, I mean, again, the, again, we, this is the issue of like the, we have the diaries. We definitely know some stuff was said and, and, and some stuff is done, but it's all the gaps in them where we start to like, what happens when you definitely know a bunch of things and then there's a gap? Like it, I think it encourages people. When the writer can't gap. tell what's going to happen. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And like, I not only have this notion of the periodic table, but I also know that the, the, our, our instrumentation is currently limited and I'm going to leave places for where we're going to discover these elements. That's some like next level divining. Yeah. That like, not just what I do. Well, it's uniquely <laughs> human ability, right? To know, to notice what you don't notice. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something that computers are still catching up on of like why we can look for things that aren't there is still one of the unique qualities of a human. Um, Because if you don't know what to look for, how do you look for it? No, it it has to look for what it knows to look for. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's just true. Like, that's a a hallmark of like, that's the scanning brain that's constantly, you know, assessing everything and being like, what are the patterns I know? (laughs) Where are we? So it's interesting, it does tie up with like, certainly, Nokian and the, the search for the key that holds everything is very much tied into divination in that way of like how especially when you have what is ostensibly all the knowledge of the known world at your fingertips that you view valuable and like you still then are like but how come i don't know everything yeah better try and break into heaven's libraries well i think that's probably just as good a push pin in the helium of the we elders that we have finding them ourselves within wow um, so we've had a lot of Scorpio times. A lot of evening. We've, I mean, not just in general, but like tonight we've talked Death Card, we've talked Rubius, and its counterparted Odul, Kalungas, Syra. The, the spirit that comes forth and what spirits that come forth after it comes forth. The bringing forth of other spirits, the rising of the sap, 
you know, in a, in an elephant train, every elephant is important. Like otherwise there's a gap, <laughs> right? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't clog the convoy. But yeah, there's, I think this, uh, it would, birch and gold and say blast, say blaze. There's like, and mysteries of articulation and what gets stuck in front. certainly what gets stuck in the throat and the ability of like how important is a prayer for like although it's not directly articulation for saint blaze but for like the power of the throat to speak which is the divine word which is the divine mandate which allows light and the world to become golden right. with light to breathe across the face of the waters which is the ocean of the dead the matter that like how can spirit and matter be united in this thing yeah. And the, the crossbones of the pillars of light. Yeah. Bent to each other. Or gift. Or even, oh man, the, the candles seeing the, the pillars on either side of the setting sun on the death card or death himself. If you view that, that flagpole as a torch, like the, the, the banner itself is like the flame of a candle hmm. that, that announces the, the tent pole that crosses with our own spine and, and brings the vigil candle that we watch fearlessly in case we fall asleep and a dibbuck takes the. We're really good at extrapolating how things are connected in a really bad poetry level. <laughs> well, we're not, dear listener. <laughs> Did you miss us? Well, then, I think that's as good a place as any to stop. It's which I've said already a few minutes ago before we waxed poetically. But thank you again for for joining us back in this foray. We hope to be recording many more this year. Hopefully, if you speak easy in store, yeah, and go from there. But. Thank you so much. Check us out on the website, www.radiofreegolgotha.com, as well as the Facebook uh, chat group we have on all things folk necromantic. So folk necromancy is the name of the group. You can search it and respond to the questionnaire and maybe we can let you in and help us find things to chat about. It's nice when people, and I don't mean to get into the archives of like shittiest responses, but it's nice when the two questions, I think it's, I don't think we're revealing, I think the two questions on like the folk necromancy group of joining it are, hey, why, what, what, what you here for? What's, what, what, what are you interested in? What brings the yeah. mancy in your necro? Right, right, right. And the second one is, hey, you know, some people are going to have some ideas about death that are going to seem weird and kind of freaky or even like horrible to you. Do you promise not to be a dick about it? It's basically what it said to And the number of people that are like, no, I do not promise that. I will, I promise nothing. I will absolutely be a dick. Like, no, stop busy lifting drinks. What? I don't understand. Thank you for being honest. Again, great to have the Rubius pop up early. Yeah. If you're going to fail early, if you're going to see deceit, see deceit as soon as possible. If someone shows you their ass, believe them. Right. Um, if Death's banner is pointed at you, run the other way. <laughs> Horses are stupid. <laughs> um, throw a blazed apple at it. Yeah. Blazed. Yeah, so find us, tag us. Al loves chatting to people on his AOL messenger something. I don't know. I've, I've always been a huge fan of humans. <laughs> with, you know, they're, they're great, great folks. All right, thank you so much. And we will... 007 out of here. Cheers, loves. Thanks for joining us. Catch you soon.